everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is returning for the second time on the show, a good friend and co-host of the Pixel Project radio podcast, Dragon Cart Enthusiast, Rick Firestone. Welcome back, Rick. Hey, Dave. What's going on, man? Good to have you back on the show. I'm so excited to talk about this game with you. Going to be a good time. We are in the midst of the meeting between the David of Dojima and uh-huh. the Mad Dog of Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where you're going to go with that one. Yep. Rick is one of the co-hosts of the wonderful Pixel Project radio podcast, as I said before. So before we get into the episode, uh, Rick, I want to give you a second to just kind of introduce for people who don't know, people who did not listen to the wonderful Disco Elysium episode that you and I did together. It's a great episode. But what is Pixel Project Radio all about? Yeah, yeah, I echo that. It was a great episode. It was a lot of fun. Um, Definitely recommend folks to play the game and then go listen to the episode. But um, (laughs) yeah, Pixel Project Radio, that is uh, the show that I run with my co-host and and dear friend, Ben Bugale. It is a sort of... uh, video game discussion and analyzation podcast where we it's sort of like a book club style um but there are a lot of people throwing that out nowadays and uh a couple shows that do it quite well so i don't want to steal anybody's thunder but um (laughs) yeah we play through games and then we talk about them we analyze them on a deeper level story beat by beat sometimes we also do other things like talk about topics like music in video games or difficulties or peripherals or things like that And it's one of my weekly shows that I listen to, or every 10 days as you guys release them. It's one of the shows that I I listen to basically day and date, every episode that comes out. One of my favorite uh, gaming podcasts, and not just in this like wonderful indie gaming group that we have. This has pushed really popular and famous shows out of my listening rotation. So I really, really encourage people to check out Pixel Project Radio. I think you guys do an awesome job. Jeez, that that is um <laughs> thank you. Uh flattery will get you everywhere. 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 And flattery will also get Rick onto the show to talk about today's game, which is Yakuza Like a Dragon. Slightly different from Disco Elysium, slightly. Yakuza Like a Dragon or Yakuza 7, which I'm going to be referring to it as throughout the podcast, is a turn-based JRPG, uh, going away from that action combat of the previous uh, games, turn-based, developed by Ryuga Gotoku Studios, Japanese pronunciation, 100% A+, no notes, thank you Dave, published by Sega in 2020. And an elevator pitch for Yakuza 7, Yakuza Like a Dragon, is, like I said before, Yakuza, and everything that comes along with these games, goes turn-based. Uh, with a new protagonist. We're going to talk about that dude very shortly. But before we get into the game itself, first, I would like to kind of issue the spoiler policy for this episode. Yakuza games are very story-heavy. You will spend lots of time watching cutscenes in these games, lots of story. We're going to save story stuff for the end. There are some really cool moments that we do not want to spoil for anybody, so... Just like most episodes of the show, a spoiler wall will be there. Look in the show notes for a timestamp for where that spoiler wall is. So, 
getting started with the game, I want to start by getting our histories with this game. Why do we want to play this game, but also the Yakuza series at large? Because this is a series that's grown in popularity like tremendously in the last like five years or so, I would I want to say. So Rick, what's your history with Yakuza and what was it that made you want to play this game like a dragon? Yeah, I've always been sort of adjacently or I guess acutely aware of the the Yakuza series. I you know, I I've seen it in stores and on shelves and on Steam and things like that. And I I didn't actually give it a proper go um until I, I until I got my gaming PC and until I built my gaming PC and then I uh started with 0. Uh that was mm-hmm. the first one that I did. I I love a good prequel. I'm I'm a big sucker for those, but uh, I I had heard that Zero was just so good, and being chronologically the first, you know there there are not too many scenes that have a le- lesser emotional impact. Um, maybe the very end uh, with Majima, but that's another story. Um, so I played that, loved it. Um, then actually, I think straight away I played Yakuza Seven. And then Kiwami one and two back to back. Um, haven't played two through six, or um, excuse me, three through six just yet. But I, the reason that I wanted to go with seven straight away is because, as you said, Dave, it, it's a new protagonist and largely a new saga. We're we're getting away from the Kiryu Kazuma saga and we're getting into the Ichiban saga, or at the very least, the post Kiryu saga, and. I similar to Zero, I had heard that it was just super good, super good, and a fine jumping in point for newbies to the series. It does have some mild spoilers for six, and a lot mm-hmm. of it would not be nearly as impactful if you didn't know, you know, the general background of the series. But you know, it 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 does serve as a good jumping off point. So I I felt okay playing it directly after Zero. So that's that's kind of how I got into it. How about you? Yeah. So. I was like you. I started with zero. This is back in 2019 or so, maybe. I think I was looking through sales, and I they sell this ridiculous pack on on PSN and probably the other services too. That's like you get zero and Kiwami and Kiwami two for like ten dollars or something like that. So I bought that because people had it. I had started to just like hear about Yakuza everywhere, and so I bought that. Like you, just loved zero like completely loved it and then i played kiwami one and two and probably like yakuza three and maybe four by the time that this game got released so when i heard about this game or when it got released i was like i'm gonna play this like i really really love this series but i wanted to finish the kiryu games first so i held off on this for a long time until i finished i did actually play all the way through Yakuza 6. And I was glad that I did it that way because some of the things that happen in Yakuza 7, like they're still kind of referencing the older games a little bit. So I was glad to finish that saga. But for anyone listening, if you're kind of like worried, like, oh, you know, who's right here, Dave or Rick? We're both right. Like you can kind of play Yakuza 7 anytime. I feel like it could be your first Yakuza game, I think. I don't think you would miss anything that way. So, yeah, that's kind of my history with it. I just kind of like held off and like all the time I was going through Yakuza like five and six, trying to get to the end of that. I kept seeing like all these 
like just clips of like the summons in this game, which are like over the top ridiculous. And I was like, they're so good. Yeah. Like in the doldrums of Yakuza 5, that game's really long. And I would see these summons and I'd be like, oh man, I really want to play that. But I got to, I got to hold off. I got to finish. So that's my um, history with it. Also like the switch to turn-based, I think was another thing that kind of like excited me about playing this game because I like the combat in the older games, but I don't love it. It gets old. And I think the boss fights are pretty uniformly terrible in the Yak- the regular like beat up Yakuza games. So the, the switch to turn-based, I was like, hmm, maybe I'll enjoy boss fights in this series again. Maybe. So I was, uh, I was really excited and uh, it did not let me down. So, so I assume, Dave, that we're going to have a whole section discussing sort of the switch to the turn-based combat. So I'm oh, yeah. going to hold off on my comments on that for now. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, what I do want to do again before we get into like mechanics and story breakdown is just kind of get some opening thoughts though. So like, how do you feel about this game? Did you enjoy your time with it? So short answer, yes. I enjoyed my time with it. It is not my favorite Yakuza game so far. Um, that so again, so far I've only played zero, one, two, and seven. Uh, currently, I I think, oh, I think it might be a toss up between zero and two. Uh, I certainly like this one more than Kiwami one, but that's almost an unfair comparison. It's um, Kiwami one was still sort of finding its voice and figuring things out, um, even compared to the PS one. Uh, or yeah, PS one, PS two, uh, version of Yakuza, but. I, I did enjoy this game a lot. I think there are some missteps with it. I, I don't love some of the changes that they made, but more, I, I feel more positively about it than negatively by far. It's a great game. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in lockstep there. Like, I don't, I don't, this isn't my favorite Yakuza game. It, that is a toss up between Zero and Koami 2 for me too, uh, just depending on the day. I like the story in Zero better, and I like the I like the gameplay in Kiwami Two better. It's just kind of what I'm feeling like, uh, on that certain day. But uh, like you said, this game is really good. I enjoyed my time with it. I think um, some of the things that might make people nervous, like a switch to turn-based combat, I think that's pretty good. And uh, if you're like me and you're like, I really love Kiryu, I wonder what is this new protagonist going to be like especially because i don't i don't love the protagonists in four and five because they four has four protagonists and five has five and i don't love all of those so i was kind of like ooh, i wonder but uh ichiban rules they really nailed that i think so yeah i'm with you this game's really good i recommend it i recommend it basically for if you already like the Yakuza games and like what they do, like their kind of mix of melodrama and just goofy stuff, I think you'll like this. And if you want to know what Yakuza is all about, I would say play this if you want a turn-based one, play Yakuza 0 if you want an action one. That's kind of my recommendation. So, good game. And for anybody wondering... This game took me 55 hours to complete. It's a lot of that was doing optional stuff, uh, which by the end, I was very glad that I did it. 
but some of it was optional stuff, as Yakuza games tend to do. And I would say, like, this game is longer than most of the regular Yakuza games. You're looking at at least like a 40 to 45 hour game here, I think, if you don't want to dive deep into some of the optional stuff. Rick, do you know how long your playthrough took you? It it wasn't that far off of yours. It was roughly like, uh, I want to say 51 or 52, just a little mm-hmm. bit shorter. Okay, yeah. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but there was a lot of optional stuff that I spent tons of time doing. So, yeah. This is a pretty long game, as you might expect a turn-based JRPG to be. So, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we will get into uh, the story setup and the new protagonist. Yakuza Like a Dragon, the main thing that's going to stand out right away is that you're not playing as Kiryu, who was the main character of the previous seven Yakuza games, zero through six. We have a new protagonist. His name is Ichiban Kasuga. And Rick, how did you feel? Because you obviously, your first impression of Yakuza was with Kiryu. What do you think about Ichiban? Okay, I'm I'm not going to lie here. I... He's a good character. I don't love him, but he is a good character. Um, I definitely don't like him more than Kiryu. I haven't met the other protagonists as, you know, I haven't played four or five. I, I think my issue, my biggest issue with Ichiban is, is a larger issue than with the character than with the character himself. They, they leaned very heavily into a lot of JRPG tropes with this game. And mm-hmm. one of one of the biggest JRPG tropes, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm playing Xenogears right now, and that, that that's kind of the same setup in a, in a way. There is a, I don't want to say dopey. There there is a wayward main character who is good of heart, but perhaps not the brightest bulb on the tree. Doesn't exactly have a standard family situation and is trying to find themselves. And that's exactly what we've got with Ichiban. Um, they leaned very hard into that trope. Now, I, I think he's likable. I think he's very likable. There are scenes where he's written extraordinarily well. Um, I, I see in your notes, you've got one a little farther down, um, with a little reunion of sorts for the players, but, um, good character. I, I'm, I'm more partial to Kiryu. That's my only thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to say, like, do I prefer Kiryu? Because I literally have spent hundreds of hours with Kiryu as my main character uh, playing through the whole series. I think Ichiban is... They had to make him different from Kiryu to make him stand out in this game. And so he is, like, much more outwardly, like, happy and friendly and trusting and, like you know, we're all in this together. He has he has a lot of those qualities more than Kiryu does. And I don't know, I just, my my thought throughout the whole game was just like, man, Ichiban is just a solid dude. He is, he is just like, he's outgoing. He loves to be around people. He loves to like, he, he's very trusting, which is one of his problems, one of Kiryu's problems too. But 
the main thing was just like, I just had fun with him as the protagonist. And this game kind of does have a bit more of a fun tone to like the group than the other Yakuza games, I think. So again, I, I think when you replace a character that's been the face of the franchise for seven games now, you have to do it a little bit differently. He couldn't just be another, you know, serious, no fun guy like Kiryu is most of the time. He's, yeah, like I said, he's different and I think it works pretty well. Uh, I do agree though. He is, he is dumb and he's gullible and all of those (laughs) things. And some of that stuff does get kind of frustrating, but like, like you said, this is a, a trope we've seen in lots of, you know, games and media where like, I, I don't think you should be playing this game like second guessing all of Ichiban's decisions. It's just gonna lead you to frustration and stuff like that. You know, why would you do that? Well, he's doing it because he's a video game character. That's why. <laughs> yeah, he very much plays the role of the hero. But you are you are exactly right, Dave. I mean, he's he's a great follow up to Kiryu. If they would have just had Kiryu two point or Kiryu Light <laughs> or the the uh, the tab version of of Kiryu, it wouldn't have been nearly <laughs> as interesting. Yeah. Yeah. For all you tab drinkers out there, that, there's a reference <laughs> for you. But but yeah. it it Ichiban's he is great in that regard. He just like it reminded me if you took Titus from Final Fantasy X or Zidane from Nine or Fei Fong Wong from Xenogears and just stuck him into the Yakuza world. Like that's that's Ichiban, you know, for better or for worse. And but no, like you said, it works great as sort of not a foil, but as a uh, refresher away from the stoic uh, dragon of Dojima. Yeah, I I think he fits more into the goofy side of Yakuza, because Yakuza always has these two sides of the coin. You have this melodrama, which Kiryu fits like beautifully into, because he's such a, like you said, stoic and serious guy most of the time. Ichiban is much more of like the goofy side of Yakuza. Just the main character is embodying that now. So I had a good time with him. And, uh, but just like Kiryu, uh, Ichiban has never met a problem that he couldn't solve by beating the shit out of somebody. So that is, uh, a theme that is continuing through the Yakuza game. So don't worry this is still how you're going to solve all your problems in this game is by punching somebody in the face repeatedly. Yeah. I, as, as an American, I can't think of anything (laughs) I'd enjoy more. It's well, Dave. You know, it's it's basically just Japanese Grand Theft Auto, Dave. You know that, right? Oh man, I'm I'm glad we bring this up because this is the <laughs> this is the comparison that people see or people say online. And if you're yeah. listening to this and you've never played a Yakuza game, this is not Japanese Grand Theft Auto. This is, not in all. my opinion, this is much more enjoyable as a story and like game experience than Grand Theft Auto. If you want to like steal cars and drive around and crash and have the police chase you, go play Grand Theft Auto. But if you want to enjoy like a more entertaining crime story with characters that you actually like root for, play Yakuza. That's that's how I feel about that comparison. It, it's closer to you know if if I I don't think that we should be making it the Japanese of anything American because that's ridiculous and reductive. But if you had to make a comparison, it's closest to The Sopranos, right? I mean it's. It's almost the same thing. It's got great drama. It's got great humor. And it's crime, <laughs> crime families. Yeah. Yep. So that is uh, kind of leading into what the story is all about. This story is, uh, as again, Ichiban is the main character. And kind of the setup is that Ichiban was orphaned 
and he was raised in what they call a soap land, uh, which is just kind of like a brothel type place in Camarocho, which is a fictional representation of the red light district in real life Tokyo. Um, I've actually been to the real life red life dist- red light district in Tokyo. They recreate the feeling of that neighborhood so well in these Yakuza games. It's one of my favorite things about them. Uh, anyway, he grew up there. That's also the setting for the other games too. So like when we say they're moving on from the Kiryu saga, this is still set in the same neighborhood. So it's not like a clean break from everything. Ichiban is kind of brought into this Yakuza family, the Arakawa family, um, because Ichiban was like a young punk, uh, got himself in over his head. This is all explained very early in the game. And this um, Yakuza boss basically like uh, took him in and took all the punishment for what Ichiban had done. He cuts his finger off in order to save Ichiban's life in classic Yakuza fashion. That's, that's the two ways you can solve a problem in Yakuza world. You can beat the shit out of somebody or you can cut your own pinky off. And if you can't do either of those things, I don't, you're, you're boned, I guess. <laughs> this, that whole beginning with, with, with Kiryu's origin, they, they frame it like so dramatically. It's, it's like watching like a nineties anime or like an opera. It's just so over the top. And like, you know, it wouldn't happen this way if this were no. <laughs> actually going on in real life. Uh, but it's, it's so entertaining. Um, and Oh, I don't want to get too ahead of the horse here, Dave, but I, I got to ask, did you play this in the English voice acting or the Japanese oh, voice acting? Good question. I always play these games with Japanese voice acting and with subtitles. Not Well, not because I speak Japanese, obviously, but I number one, the Japanese voice acting in every Yakuza game is like fantastic. It's great. And it really lends to the... Um, you know, the big I word, the immersion of uh, playing this when everyone's speaking Japanese. And I don't have any trouble reading subtitles because my hearing's not great and I play everything with subtitles anyway. So yeah, I play with Japanese. How about you? I'm normally I'm with you. I'm like, you know, if if there is like an anime that I'm watching, I'll I'll go original voice acting with English, uh, English subtitles. Uh, Same with some of the more popular uh, Korean productions these days like parasite and squid games mm-hmm. um do not watch squid game in english it is bad oh god uh, <laughs> i can only imagine <laughs> um but i actually i actually did my playthrough i played in english um everything that i watched on youtube to supplement um for this episode to refresh i did in japanese just so i could get that um that uh, both sides of the coin but i i chose to do it in english for two reasons one um, I heard that they had some big names and like George Takei is the one that they always flaunt playing uh, Masumi Arakawa. Mm-hmm. But I had heard that the English voice acting cast overall was really darn good. And it, it's it is it's not as consistent as the Japanese cast, but it it's overall it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I had also heard that for this game in particular, that they they really made sure that the English dub was really good. Uh, not quite like. It's a step up, I want to say, from Mark Hamill voicing um, Majima <laughs> in the original Yakuza game on the PS2, uh, which is wild. If you go look on YouTube for that, because it is, it's crazy. 
he he's on record as saying that I well this could also just be Mark Hamill being Mark Hamill being a goof, yeah. but he <laughs> supposedly doesn't remember it. I want to be clear though, I didn't fact check that. I just read it and didn't bother to look into it. So we might be doing some live fact checking. So I guess like if you want to play this with English voice acting, this is one of the better Yakuza games to do that in. And I think I actually did see some scenes of like each some of Ichiban's like monologues in English, and I think they were pretty good. I just like Yakuza is, is an automatic like this game is set in real Japan. I play with Japanese, uh, which I try to do for most games where it's set in like a real country. Uh, other than like I'm not gonna play The Witcher in Polish, but uh, for a lot of games, uh, I will do it that way. I recommended the Spanish voice acting for Blasphemous on that episode of this show, and the same holds true here. So getting back into the kind of like the story, fast forward to the future, Ichiban is kind of a, you know, a not a super high-ranking member of the Arakawa crime family, but he is, you know, special in some ways. He He's kind of the caretaker of um, Arakawa's son who has this kind of debilitating med- medical condition and you have some scenes where Ichiban goes out with uh, they call him the young master uh, in the game and then suddenly somebody kills somebody oopsie and Ichiban has to take the fall he goes to prison for 18 years uh, a common theme with our protagonists in Yakuza going to prison for something that you didn't do and when he gets out of jail, he goes to talk to Arakawa, who he considers him like a father figure, and he expects to be welcomed into this. This all happens in the first several hours of the game. He gets to uh, talking to the uh, the boss, his father figure, and uh, his boss uh, shoots him in the chest. And he wakes up in a dumpster <laughs> in this uh, kind of fictionalized version of Yokohama. And uh, he is nursed back to health by your first party member named Nanba, who is a uh, kind of disgraced nurse. And now we're on a quest. And so when you see the kind of like setting of, uh, you know, your main character is homeless and you're working with homeless people, this is why. Because he's his first step in being brought back to, you know, sent down to the bottom and working his way back up is that he starts out homeless after this whole saga of going to prison. So, yeah, I want to just kind of get your thoughts on, like, this kind of setup. Because Kiryu, in those games, Kiryu is always just like, you know, oh, I said I was done with this life. Oh, something happened. Let me jump back into it. But Ichiban's is more a, like, he was sent down to the bottom, and now he's going to work his way back up and try to uncover why his father figure shot him and stuff like that. So before we get into talking about your party members and that kind of story stuff, how do you feel about this kind of just main plot thread of trying to figure out why did he shoot you? What's going on here? I I, I thought it was compelling. Um, I, I agree with you. There There's a lot in the previous Yakuza titles of, you know, uh, I thought I was out, but they keep pulling me back in, that kind of thing. <laughs> and this one, he's forced out. He doesn't really get a choice, you know. So now we are figuring out what went wrong. Um, I liked it. I, I thought it was an interesting thread. Uh, at, at times, a bit difficult to keep 
uh, keep really dutiful track of, but that's kind of par for the course with this series. Yeah, one of the problems with this series for me is that, especially by this point in the game, or this point in the series, and even though this is a reboot of sorts, like you run into this issue where you start this game up and within five hours you have learned the names of 17 crime bosses and 17 crime families that are subsidiaries of 17 other crime families and it starts to become again it starts to become proper noun soup like we talked about in disco elysium luckily that's not the most important thing here and that's like one of my favorite things about this story is that is it feels more personal than a lot of the Kiryu Yakuza games, you're not really like supposed to care about what's going on with these Yakuza clans in this game. You're supposed to care about what happens with Ichiban, like him personally and the people that he meets, I think. I think. So, in that way, I did find this story a lot easier to connect to uh, because as much as I like the stories in, let's say, Yakuza 4. I don't really care about clan maneuvering a whole lot. That's just kind of like a vehicle to get me in these different situations. But in this game, I really liked that more personal story of Ichiban and his party members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jumping back real quick to a previous point you made um, with the proper noun soup, I often wonder if it's because... You know, because I, I experienced that too, and I, I wonder if it's just because I'm I'm a Westerner, like I'm I'm from America, I live in America, I have all my life, mm-hmm. and you know that those names just aren't as common here as they are in Japan. But then I play a game like Until Dawn, which which I'm currently playing for a podcast, and it's just here's Jess and Mike and Sam and Crit, and it's like all these just generic <laughs> names running together and it's like okay maybe it's maybe it's not just because I'm not from there but right. um I I agree with you it's um you know you start to recognize the faces and the general um layout of the land more than knowing like oh I'm in this district of Camarocho or oh there's um I I don't know Kume or something but or whoever um but um to your point about the story I Yes, it is more personal, I think, this time around. I, I, I don't fully, I don't disagree with you. I don't fully agree. I like the story. I like the political movements of the story. Um, and they're present throughout all of the Yakuza games. I don't think they're done as well as other series, such as like, uh, The Sopranos or The Wire. <laughs> um, it's, it's game or, um, you know, series that are, really really intricately written with politics in mind and political movements of families and such but you know it's not quite that level but i i never thought it was bad like i some of the stuff that happens later in the story i i was into it i you know it if it was just about that i don't know that i would be as jazzed about the game but yeah i i I was into it yeah and like all of these games do this kind of like melodrama like political maneuvering type stuff adequately at least like there is a ton of like you know you thought you had me figured out but actually this was my plan all along like there's there's so much of that throughout this entire series and this game is no different in that way and that starts to get like okay all right fine now what's going on but again i did always have that like lifeline to hold on to of like 
I'm trying to figure out Ichiban's story, and we're trying to figure out what's going on with some of the other characters too. And that kind of helps me more than like in, you know, Yakuza 3 or something like that. Or Yakuza 2, where the entire like last fourth of the game is just a nesting doll of you thought this, but it's actually this. And then just (laughs) kidding, I was there the whole time and it's just never ending. You thought you killed me. Guess what? I'm back and I'm stronger than I've ever been. Yeah, I love that game, but uh, that ending is <laughs> is a lot. Yeah, that one in particular. In this game, this is a party-based RPG, so for the first time, uh, not, not the first time that you're going to have other characters, like main characters that are involved in the story, uh, Yakuza 4 and 5 and 0 do this too, but this is the first one where you have a traveling party, like a traditional JRPG. They really make it a point to show off that they love Dragon Quest in this game. Ichiban is obsessed with Dragon Quest. That's why he thinks he is a hero. He's kind of like playing this Dragon Quest hero fantasy. And that extends into like the gameplay too. So starting with your party members, uh, you have uh, Yu Nanba, who is, like we said, a disgraced former nurse. Uh, You have Koichi Adachi, who is a disgraced former detective. You have Saiko Mukoda, who is a not disgraced hostess bar mama, uh, which that I actually read. There's like a Wikipedia page for that term bar mama, but it's just kind of like a woman who runs a bar uh, for not wanting to get too deep into it. Um, and there are a couple others that are story spoilers, but you'll keep adding to your party throughout the game. And there is an optional party member uh, named Eri Kamataki, who is actually a real person. She is a real actress who, her, I don't know how, but like how they came to this, maybe you do, Rick, but her likeness was just kind of copied and put in this game as this kind of character named Eri. Uh, she is optional too. You get her by doing a side activity. Highly recommend doing that once you meet her because she's a very good party member. It, it was some kind of a contest or something i that's that's all i can remember about it and she was the winner and they brought her in but i you are 100 percent right man like once i got her she was a consistent rotation in my party like she's she's Mm -hmm. quite good yeah definitely the thing i like the most about this is all the other yakuza games even if you are playing, even if you're playing four or five or zero the ones that have multiple protagonists you're still by yourself most of the time. You are playing as Kiryu or you're playing as Majima in Zero. In this game, you have this traveling party and you have people to talk to. And this really fits well with Ichiban and this kind of like, I want to say like this connection between a lot of the characters here that I feel like a lot of them have been taken advantage of at some point in their life or they've been disgraced in some way Uh, Somebody has cheated them in some way, and they all find kind of strength in this party dynamic throughout the game. And I really, really like this group um, as a group of characters. There are a couple that I like as single characters more than the others, but as a group, I think they work really, really well. Yeah, yeah. A question for you, and feel free to put a pin in this if this is something that you had planned on talking about later. But how did you feel, speaking of the party members um, and their relationships to Ichiban, how did you feel about how 
those relationships were portrayed uh, both narratively and maybe more importantly for this discussion, like mechanically, like the the bonding system. How did you feel about that? Yeah, so this game has a kind of bonding system, basically like Persona. And this is kind of the first point in things that I think this game took from the Persona series, extending into some combat things and some UI things too. But I enjoyed the conversations and I enjoyed like the kind of character loyalty missions that you do uh, throughout the game, like, you know, not unlike Mass Effect or something where you'll you'll go do a, a particular mission to help one of your party members or a series of them in this game. And I liked those. I'm kind of ambivalent toward the like, you know, unlocking, you know, level four bond with Nanba. I'm kind of just like, okay, cool. Like that's going to help me in battle, I guess. I don't know that these needed to be like personified like this, but it it was fine. And I did enjoy the conversations uh, that come as part of these. So yeah, I'm not mad at it. I'm just kind of like, eh, it's fine. It, it does feel very much like Persona 5 um, because the the way the bonds in this game function is as you, you know, you fight in battle with your party members and the bonds level up. And once that level max is reached, you have to go and spend time with them. So it's a, it's a confidant, just like Persona 5. And just like Persona 5, as you level up, you get new abilities, except instead of like, um, you know, battle abilities, you get... Um, more job opportunities. You could switch jobs um, in the mm-hmm. job system with your with your other characters. the The thing is, though, is that as these characters feel a bit more real to me than the confidants in Persona Five, but the writing in these confidant sections did not feel as strong as the persona <laughs> series and that was that was the issue for me a lot of it a lot of it is forgettable some of it's not but a lot of it is yeah there are as i'm thinking about them right now i beat the game a couple months ago there's a couple that i can remember right now and there's several that i have no idea so you are right about that for sure it's weird. All of these loyalty missions, like the, I think the content in them is kind of meaningful if you care about that character and their backstories and stuff like that. Some of them, but they all basically end with you going and beating the shit out of somebody. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure they, they're fine. I, yeah, they're, they're okay. And the kind of mechanical advantage you get for doing that is sometimes worth it, but like, We'll talk about that job system later, and we'll talk about the combat later. I didn't actually use a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, anything else about the kind of like story and characters and party uh, that we have going on? Um, I, I wanted to hop back, um, just since you're asking, I'm going to hop back to something that you mentioned earlier, is that um, this game, I don't remember the verbiage you used, but they they really try to emulate and make references to Dragon Quest a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically Ichiban loves Dragon Quest. And, uh, what I find kind of cute about that is the, the writer and the director, whoever, uh, working on this game talked with the Dragon Quest, uh, directors and got their permission. So like, you know, they, it it was a handshake. It was like, yeah, go ahead. That, I like that. I, I don't like it any more than that. (laughs) I, I don't like it is too much. They, they're really trying to remind you this whole time that Ichiban 
is, you know, he likes JRPGs. And guess what, guys? That's what you're playing right now. Do you get it? Do you <laughs> see? And it that combined with the other JRPG tropes that they do in this game, it just it graded on me a lot. It it just felt like it felt like they were going for a flavor and they just put too much ingredients into the dish. You know what I mean? And that's just, it's purely a taste thing to use a pun. It's, it, it's just a taste thing. And I'm not saying it's bad, but it wore on me. Yeah. I, I definitely get that because I, like, I personally don't like Dragon Quest. And so them being like, hey, this is just like Dragon Quest. Don't you love Dragon Quest? Ichiban sure does. And I'm like, actually, I don't love Dragon Quest. So these specific references and then like some mechanical things. Uh, later that are specifically like you know this is a jrpg like dragon quest so we have to have grinding in this game and stuff like that i was like oh man like you you didn't have to do it just like dragon quest you know but i i kind of wonder like because this is a japanese game and dragon quest is much more popular in japan than it is in the u.s i wonder how well it hits for people who grew up playing Dragon Quest their whole life, like it it seems like Ichiban did uh, whenever he had a chance. There are things with the switch to JRPG and this like, you know, reverence toward Dragon Quest in this game, things that like do not work for me at all. And then there are some things that I think are really, really good uh, once we get into talking about the combat and stuff like that. And I thought about it, man. I was like, what if they, you know, what if Ichiban loved Persona or like even a specific one? Like, what if he loved my favorite Persona? And I think it would still get on my nerves a little bit. Like, I I don't have anything against Dragon Quest. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I haven't given it a proper chance, um, but. I I don't know. It's it, it's just a lot. They there are a lot of references to JRPGs that may work for you. It may not. It's that's just what it is. Yeah, I laughed there cuz I was thinking like what if Ichiban loves Final Fantasy 10 as much as I do. And <laughs> I think that might be a bit more polarizing than just Dragon Quest in general. <laughs> so it could it could have got us at like a Blitzball like mini game though. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, if they modernize Blitzball, maybe. We'll see. They would have had to do like they would have had to do things with this engine that I'm not sure that it's capable of. Uh so anyway, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. It it does start to get grading and like mechanically there are some things with this that I really don't like and I think it is like this kind of both referencing and turning the actual game into a JRPG like Dragon Quest. So uh, the last thing with the story I wanted to ask you about, and this is one of the main complaints, actually, that I've heard about this game, and probably the Yakuza series in general, is that this game is really long, and you're going to spend a ton of time watching cutscenes. There are three different types of cutscenes, I think. There's like these fully rendered, beautiful cutscenes where you can see every pore in people's faces. There are the kind of like, in-engine cutscenes with voice acting still, and then there's in-engine cutscenes with no voice acting. And you're spending a lot of time in these three different kinds of cutscenes. So did this ever start to wear on you? Uh, this is another taste thing. Um, it didn't. Uh, I don't mind this. I the, the finales that are always like three hours long, th mm -hmm. that's a bit much. Without saving, I should say. But 
you know, I I haven't got to three or four, which are on older engines, but, you know, Zero, Kiwami 1, Kiwami 2, and Yakuza 7 on PC just look fantastic. I do. You yeah. know, I, I'm my GPU is a 2080, so last gen. It it just looks terrific. And even what I've seen on PS5 and PS4 and Xbox, it it, it looks really, really good. Um, so it didn't bother me personally until, you know, the final big three hour <laughs> finales. Yeah. And like no hyperbole, the final cut the final thing when you finish the game, there is a 45 minute plus cutscene at the end of this game. Which, like, I don't know why I was surprised that it is that way, because that's how a lot of these games are. But I was surprised. It's, you know, it's not that famous Metal Gear Solid cutscene that would be an entire full length movie by itself. But the um, the cutscenes are something that a lot of people like don't like about this. And so if, if you're listening and you think like, I really hate it when games have long cutscenes, uh, you're not going to like this because there are long cutscenes and there's a lot of them in this game. And even if it's not like these, you know, like we said, really nice rendered kind of animated fully voice acted cutscenes, there's a lot of times where your characters just stand in there talking to each other with no voice acting. That's been something that all the Yakuza games have done. Um so that might get old if that's something that you really hate. Uh I'm personally like you Rick, I'm fine with it. The only problem is uh since I'm playing with Japanese voice acting, if I get distracted by my phone, then I will miss what's going on. And that happened to me more than a few times. But that is my attention problem. Not everyone's going to have that issue. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and that that is, I forgot to mention the voice acting. So I'm, I'm glad that you did, because in, in addition to looking amazing, they're acted phenomenally well um slightly less so sometimes in the english uh the english version but man alive like it's mostly just stellar yeah i have in the notes we're going to talk about in the spoiler section but there are some sections with ichiban's voice actor in particular the japanese version for me where i was like i was just like holy this guy is incredible right now like this is really well voice acted uh, for what's going on in the story. So yeah, I agree. Really, really good. Again, I said it earlier in the episode, but the Japanese voice acting in all of these games is really good. It carries like the emotion and uh, stuff like that really, really well. I think Ichiban's voice actor is incredible in Japanese. Uh, and I like, like I said before, I've heard he's good in English too. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, he's he's mostly pretty good in English. There are there are like a few scenes where it's like why are you saying it that way? Um but <laughs> I couldn't do it better. So so good for them. Yep. All right, let's take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the turn-based combat, which is the other big kind of change that this game has made. So combat in Yakuza Like a Dragon is turn-based for the first time in the series, uh, but kind of unlike Dragon Quest, and this is why I wanted to make that Persona 5 comparison, this is snappy turn-based combat. 
battles are quick. And one of the things that I really like is like, you press the input, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, you you press your input, you want to attack or do a spell or something like that. And it's fully animated, your character will run over to the opponent and hit them with the weapon you're holding, or something like that. It's not like in, I don't know, another game where your character would just stand in place or something like that. This is all animated. And like, if your if your enemy falls down, another character will run up and hit them while they're on the ground. If you have your friendship bond leveled up and stuff like that, I think, I think that's how that works. I, I think this combat's really, really snappy. There are some animations that take a long time. You can skip them, but some animations like spells and uh, especially the summons, those are like 30 second animations. You can skip them again. So like I skip them a lot of times. You should watch those animations at least once though, because they're all so over the top and so fun. How do you feel about the general like speed of the combat? Did you find this to be like taking too long to get through a fight or uh, did you find it like I did to be snappy and kind of fast paced? I'm like just listening to you talk. I'm I I mean I'm always happy to be here because I I like you but I'm like I'm rubbing my hands together like the sicko and I'm just like yes yes I can't wait because I I don't agree I don't like uh, I don't love this combat system okay um I I find it to be I I actually don't see the similarities to Persona so I I I I would love to hear your thoughts on that but I I find it to be very very average um and it's hindered because of how they they didn't commit to fully turn based sort of because your characters are always walking around so there's an element of movement and location but it's not something you can control like fire emblem or divinity it's it's the luck of the draw sometimes your character is going to be in a position where they won't be able to hit somebody um other times they might just happen to pick up like a a, a bicycle or something and use it as a weapon so location is super important in this turn-based combat, but you can never plan for it, if that makes sense. And that bugs the heck out of me. Um, that That's my biggest complaint. I agree with you. Some of the animations, even outside of pound mates and um, spells, they just took too long. Uh, it felt very sluggish. It just, I, I feel like I would have liked it more if they would have just committed to a traditional, uh, like Persona or like Dragon Quest, turn-based thing instead of the sort of almost MMO aspect, you know, with the movement, I mean. So, first of all, I I never had a time where my character couldn't hit somebody. Like, they, the pathfinding, if you hit attack and your guy was, like, behind a guardrail, they'll jump over the guardrail and run and hit them. So I don't remember having a time where someone was, like, unable to hit somebody, but... I absolutely agree. The biggest problem with this combat is that there's a lot of area of effect attacks and spells and abilities. And in the time of you going through the menu to select the area of effect spell to hit a group of enemies that are bunched together, during that time, those enemies will disperse and they'll move around. And so by the time you execute that attack, maybe two of those enemies have left the area. And now your big area of effect thing hits half of the group instead of the whole group. And I definitely agree that that sucks. Uh, That's my biggest problem with this combat system in general. 
another thing too with positioning and i don't remember if this works um on enemies that are trying to attack you but if you try to attack an enemy that's behind another enemy you get blocked immediately and they just they'll clothesline you and then your turn is over Mm -hmm. um and now you're out of position and you missed a turn i would like it if you could plan it but i think if you were able to move your characters that would add another layer and make things a little messier i don't know i'm i don't know i i just wish they would have committed so like your characters are moving around and like the place that you are rarely really mattered to me it's more about where the enemies are so like i never wished like i could attack and then retreat behind a couch to hide it's not like that kind of like wishing you could move around in a tactical way because that's not really how the combat system works like I said, if an enemy wants to come hit you and you're behind a couch, the enemy will destroy the couch and then come hit you. That's kind of how that works. But I, again, my kind of problem with it was how the enemies are positioned while you're trying to hit them with area of effect things. Or like you said, like if I want to hit this enemy with an attack and then while I'm menuing through, some enemy walks in that path, you will get blocked. And that kind of sucks. But later in the game, you're not really doing the standard attack a whole lot. So I never really found that to be an issue in like the most difficult encounters. But it is annoying. I'm definitely with you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, I don't, I don't know. I, the, the comparison that I was thinking of for a lot of the time was actually Final Fantasy X, um, largely because of the turn based and how the menus function, but also, they they have a sort of turn counter, but it's not as in-depth as 10's turn counter, right. you know? This one gives you the turn counter just who's going next, I think, not like the full turn, turn order like Final Fantasy X. So you you can at least see like, you know, oh, this guy is going next. Let me try to kill him as quickly as I can, if I can take away a turn from the enemies. But yeah, you're right. It's not like that full like tactical layer that final fantasy 10 has which is one of my favorite things about that game yeah yeah and it it was it never bugged me to the point where i was having a bad time because i couldn't see like three three moves down it was just you know all of these little tiny things that i don't like about the combat kind of come together um and the amalgamation of them just kind of made me feel lukewarm on it like it's not bad um but it's you know i don't love it yeah, I I kind of came out with this, like, I, I like this combat system. It could have been a lot worse with the inspirations that they're taking. Uh, again, I I played Dragon Quest Eleven for about 35 to 40 hours, and it, this, this combat system in Yakuza 7 is much better than that, I think. So, like, even the things they're taking direct inspiration from, I think they improved it a lot. And, like, this kind of snappy feeling and the way the menus look is why I brought up the Persona 5 comparison, uh, because so many JRPGs just have these standard fucking boring menus that you spend so much time in menus in these games that like, I was just happy to see a menu that looks nice and interesting and stuff like that, which is one of the things I praise Persona 5 for so much. That's another reason I make the comparison here. Yeah. 
This combat system is pretty standard. Other than that, I don't think this is really doing anything that JRPGs haven't done in the past. You have your basic attacks, you have spells, you have buffs and debuffs, you have summons, which are called pound mates, which I found infinitely funny throughout the entire game. Uh, that I think they're doing like a jail thing, your pound mates or something like that. But is is that how you read that? Like in the pound as like prison is something like that. I don't know. Like, let's be clear. I laughed about it in a sexual way the entire game. Well, the, when you get your first one, not to get too far into spoiler territory, um, one of your party members seems to be very excited that it might be that. And then yeah. when your first <laughs> pound mate shows up, it's, it's just, it's very funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I will say, I love this. I love the summons. Very good. It's so funny. The summons are uh, both useful and you know how people always say, like, the first time I saw the summons in Final Fantasy VII, I like I called my family into the room to look at it because it was so cool looking or something like that. I called my wife into the room several times to look at these summons in Yakuza 7 because they are so lovingly animated and just like designed. Like I could tell the person who is designing these summon animations like these little mini cutscenes was just cackling like a mad scientist, like, okay, now the, you know, now the lobster is going to come in and do this and all that stuff. Do you have a favorite uh, without, you know, there, there are a couple that are clear runners that might be story spoilers, but do you have a non-spoiler favorite summon? This is the one you've probably seen clips of on um, Twitter or something like that, but the I forget if it's a lobster or like a crayfish or something like it's that. A, it's a it, it's a crayfish, right? Or crawfish. Right. Um, I I love that one. That one's just very funny to me. The idea of you know all these uh, well now now that I know what it is, all these crawdads coming in and just just anni- annihilating somebody like a tornado of them. I love that one so much. Her name is Nancy Chan. Nancy yep. Chan. <laughs> I, I yeah, that one was great. The other two that I have written down um, that aren't story spoilers are Robson, the little cat that you could get. Oh, I don't. I think I missed that one. They they call it um uh something. I don't think they call it just the tiger. I think they might call it the some, something tiger, but it's just a little kitty cat. <laughs> um, and then also, I don't remember the name of this side quest person. I just have written down great value, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> like a butcher that wears a hockey mask right yeah yeah i remember that guy uh people pe- it's like a side quest where people thought there was like a mass murderer out but it turns out it's just like a a big butcher guy in a in a you know a jason mask yeah these these are so good and like they're really long so i'm not gonna lie. i skip them most of the time but sometimes you know especially the first time and then sometimes throughout the game i i'd just be like you know what Let's watch this cutscene again. And then I would laugh and have a good time. It almost makes that wait worth it when the cutscenes are so over the top like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think this one is a spoiler, but um well I'll just say it first and then you can cut it if if it is the the Yakuza in, in the baby costume, baby diaper. Oh yeah. That's become a staple of the Yakuza games. I, I know at least two other games that have the baby club uh, where you, you befriend the uh, the crime boss who has a baby fetish. 
Yeah, those are always great. Love those. There's one as a, I don't know if it's actually, it's not a pound mate, but it's a like a skill because your characters can get these kind of like mega skills too. Your characters have skills that function as, you know, the way spells do either physical attack spill, uh, skills, healing, uh, healing, or kind of like buff and debuff skills. And then later in the game, your characters will get these like, you know, Ultima skills for, you know, JRPG speak. And some of those animations are like incredible too. Like non-buzz is really, really good. Uh, the one you get as a reward for doing some optional content uh, later in the game is like my favorite thing. I still laugh about it months after playing the game. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section, but very, very good. Uh, but again, like this contributes to this game taking so long because these cutscenes, if you're watching them, are 10 to 20 seconds long to do a, a spell or a summon. Yeah, dude. And like you said, the first couple of times, it's great. Even every once in a while, it's awesome. I love summoning Nancy Chan and seeing all those crawfish and even that just one little crawfish attacking big burly dudes. It's yeah. great. It's very funny. <laughs> but I'm glad that they didn't try to emulate like Final Fantasy VII. Like Knights, summoning Knights of the Round in Final Fantasy VII takes over a minute and you can't skip it. <laughs> thankful, thankful that they did that here. Um, that's very nice of them. Yeah. For sure. And again, so this is one thing that they did modernize from this like JRPG formula, the the games that they're kind of emulating. They did us the kindness of letting us skip these long cutscenes. They did not do us the kindness of uh, removing grinding from the game, uh, which is which means that like if you don't love this combat or if you're like me and you like it, but it's not like your favorite thing, like. I don't know that I would have minded grinding for a little bit in Persona 5 because I love the combat in that game. In this game, grinding is mandatory in a few spots. And that, I don't know if this makes it worse, that like in Pokemon, sometimes you need to grind two or three levels before each gym. In this game, you need to grind 20 levels at two points in the game. And, ah, man. This is like my biggest complaint with the game. So you'll, you, you'll find a boss and you're level 35. You haven't grinded at all. The game's been easy for the whole time. And then you'll find a boss and the boss is level 55. The last boss you fought was level 40. And now you need to go grind. You need to spend some hours grinding uh, to be able to fight this boss. And what would they have missed by making that boss be level 42? I don't think they would have missed anything. They just wanted to get you to go do some side stuff in this location. And so, again, this plays into the combat because if, I assume, Rick, if you don't love the combat, then this was the worst. So it's funny that you say two because there were there were like 2.5 spots for me that required like some real grinding. Um, thankfully, once you get to like the last part that requires it, there's a, a pretty unique like battle tower that you can find. So you're getting better rewards. It's not like you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mind grinding generally. And, and here's why, you know, when you're playing to some extent, the earlier Yakuza games, but other action RPGs like, um, like Witcher or Nier, a lot of it comes down to like 
your skill at pressing the buttons. And in turn-based games, that doesn't matter. So they eliminate that, and now the challenge is, can you outstat your opponents? And, you know, there are several ways to do that. The the um, most efficient way that is uh, most difficult is finding better equipment, um, getting good buffs and debuffs. The easiest way, but the most time-consuming, is grinding, because that levels up your stats slowly. I'm not averse to it, but it was jarring just how how much stronger two of these bosses were than what came before like like dave you weren't exaggerating it's it's a good 15 like 15 to 20 levels higher it's a bit much and it it comes at a point in the game where you are just introduced to something that will help you grind but why do you why do I need to grind 20 levels? Like I said, make that boss 5 levels higher than me and I can go spend 30 minutes doing this optional thing instead of like literally 3 to 4 hours, which is what it took. Which again, I don't know if I would prefer to spread the grinding out through the entire game, but I definitely don't like it this way. Yeah, I I'm with you. I I'm I'm really with you. I the one that everybody cites that I think you're talking about with the 15 to 20 levels. I was actually I only had to grind a tiny bit before that because there was actually a boss earlier uh that we've talked about off air. You didn't have trouble on, but it just kicked my ass time and time and time again. Um so for that particular boss in chapter 9, I just I did so much grinding to make sure that I was okay. So I was mm-hmm. generally good whenever you got to that really cool one that you know is 20 levels above 20 levels above you but <laughs> yeah um, that's fair yeah man there's it, it it is a bit much it is a bit much yeah we'll talk about that in the spoiler section because i have lots more thoughts about that one in particular but now that we're on the subject of bosses i've made my opinion known earlier in the episode that i think yakuza games have terrible boss fights And the way that they were terrible in the old games is that every boss has seven health bars and you have one. And so the way it works is anytime you know you're going to go into a big story moment, you go to the pharmacy, you buy a bunch of stamina royales, fill up your inventory, and you just kind of like brute force your way and pause and heal and fight, pause and heal and get your way through it. In this game, the bosses are a lot better. I still don't love them, but they're a lot better, I think, in this game. And I think it is due to introducing a a lot more strategy because it's turn-based and it's not like this insane skill spike in action combat that I think a lot of the bosses in the, the old Yakuza games were. They're they're brutal in some of the older ones, especially on the hardest difficulty. They'll they will get frame perfect parries on you, like consistently. If you're playing on some of the harder difficulties, um, I've heard three in particular is particularly bad about stun locking you, like enemies just stun locking you and, and oh. going to town. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but aside from the ones that we were just alluding to, none of the bosses really stood out to me as being poorly designed or frustrating, or just a slog to get through, you know, like some of the other ones in Kiwami 1 or 2, maybe. Mm-hmm. And 
I think some of the bosses here really, really, really work from a story perspective, which we'll get into later, which is something that not a lot of the older game bosses could claim, I think, unless you're really invested in this particular villain in some of the older games. In Yakuza 7, you do have this like, holy shit, I can't believe like I'm fighting this person and this is awesome. You have some of these moments in this game and something that, you know, some of the older games didn't have unless you're fighting Majima, you know, in Kiwami or something like that for the first time or something. So, yeah, boss fights, much better, in my opinion, in Yakuza 7. Uh, As far as JRPG boss fights go, I also think these are pretty good. I enjoyed some of the strategy for these. Um, Yeah, pretty good, which which is good. I. I've been on record on this show as saying that I don't think a lot of games have good boss fights, and I think they're pretty good in this game. Yeah, I mean, there there's still a lot of boss fights that are more difficult just because they have more HP, and it's just you're oh, doing yeah. the same tactics, you just do it for longer. And that's that's a genre issue that happens a lot. There, This game doesn't... I don't know if it stands out as having quote-unquote good boss battles, but it does not stand out for having quote-unquote bad boss battles. Yeah, and I guess that's the least we can ask, uh, because there are a lot of ways they could have made these terrible, such as giving each boss seven health bars, like in the regular Yakuza games. So, one other thing before we get out of combat, uh, which we we brought up earlier, is this uh, job system in this game. And so you start out with Ichiban has the job of hero because he thinks he's playing a Dragon Quest game. He has a Dragon Quest hero fantasy. So his job is hero. Nanba starts out as the homeless guy class. And um, each of your characters are initially able to have this one class. And as you advance their rank and as they advance levels, you can open up a bunch of different customization options. And this turns into basically like you know, you can make your character a white mage by making them into this particular class or make them a black mage. And one thing that I think is cool is you can mix and match certain skills from different job classes. So you can like level up as a chef for a while to get this particular spell that you want and then switch to a different job and you'll keep that chef spell. And so you can kind of character build like this. Again, before I give my opinion, Rick. To what extent did you engage with this job system and enjoy it? I, upon reflecting, I don't think I played it optimally, but I'm I'm rarely worried about playing games optimally to begin with. So, I the job system is fine. I don't I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it. There are things that I like, things that I don't. Um, things that I don't like. Um, I don't like the way they treat Nanba with. So everybody, as you said, Dave gets their special unique class nanbas is quote-unquote homeless person Mm -hmm. um really insensitive i think to lay into the whole like the homeless person drinks alcohol um and then because that's how nanba uses fire spells is he drinks alcohol and spews it everywhere Mm -hmm. um i don't love it i i know they do a lot of um commentary on japanese society and how they treat um people going through houselessness with that whole camp still didn't love it but all that to say, um, it was kind of neat, as you said, as you level up, you know, 
in one class, when you get to level six, you'll get strength up. When you get to level 12, you get an ability. 15 is, is an essence skill and etc. I think once you get to level 30, you have quote unquote mastered a class. And then beyond that, it's just stat increases. So it, it really behooves you to use more than one class with everybody, which I largely did not like Kasuga for me. Um, Ichiban was the hero because that's just what I liked for him. Mm hmm. Nanba, actually, I flip-flopped a lot of Nanba around. Um, I did use the quote-unquote homeless job. Um, or do they call it bum? <laughs> I, I think it's homeless guy. Yeah. Yeah, either way. Um, another one that I used for him a lot was Devil Rocker. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was so funny. Have you ever um, Have you ever watched the regular show? No. Okay. Um in in the devil rocker style for those that haven't played this game you 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 know you basically dress up as someone from kiss you dress up as gene simmons and that's how you fight it's largely based on buffs and debuffs but like you say all these corny lines so like one of non one of my characters good attacks um in this was like a freeze thing you would freeze opponents and every time he would use it he would sound like muscle man from the regular show going like you better freeze and it <laughs> never failed to make me laugh um <laughs> sorry i just really wanted to talk about that um <laughs> but no i you know some characters there's also gender specific ones um which which has been criticized perhaps rightfully so like um Psycho and Aerie can't, um, I don't think they could do like the break dancer or, you know, the, uh, the, the tank ones that Adachi does. They do like hostess and idol and, um, right. woman of the night or something, which I actually, th that's a really good class, um, to, to use. I had Psycho and Aerie both using that, uh, on and off. Aerie, I like to use her default class. Um, Psycho, I kind of cycled through everything, but, yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry. I kind of talked a little too long there for your question. Um, does that answer your question, though? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm kind of with you. So I also am not like a min-max optimizer when I play games that have systems like this. So I played the entire game with Ichiban as the hero, never switched. I played most of the game with Nanba as homeless guy because I liked his fire spells and I didn't want to switch and lose those. Adachi, I switched him like maybe like 10 hours into the game to like that enforcer with the big riot shield, never switched. And then for some of the other characters, I did switch them around because I was looking for something that worked and I checked a few guides for like, because at the end of this game, I knew there was going to be a long battle gauntlet type thing with a long boss fight at the end and no checkpoint in the middle. So I kind of at the end, I was like, okay, let me look up like, what am I missing? Because I went through 95% of this game without switching jobs at all. You just don't need to. And so... I kind of did check a guide and then I was like, oh, okay, let me just, because I have to grind anyway, let me go check out like, what can I level up? What spells can I use to get through the final boss? And that, that actually did help me. But I, I don't know, this is kind of something I, I don't love about this game that like, 
I feel like I would have had a really hard time with the final boss without doing that when the previous 95% of the game did not require any job system tinkering whatsoever. So on one hand, it's cool that I didn't have to mess around with it if I didn't want to. But on the other hand, it feels like it's kind of necessary later in the game. And I don't love I don't love it when a lot of these games like introduce like a big difficulty spike that it had not previously prepared you for. It's uh, actually something that a lot of JRPGs fail at, I think, because you can just kind of tap your way through a lot of JRPGs until suddenly you can't and you don't know why. I feel like it could have gone that way, but I'm a I'm a guide checker anyway, so I didn't have that issue. But the job system, I think it's fun to experiment with, but I never like hit a point where I was like, oh, I'm not doing much damage here. Or like, these enemies are resistant to everything I do. I need to switch jobs. I never hit a point like that, so I never switched. Path of least resistance. I mean, yeah, and that's... When it's when that's available, you got to take it. the The thing about JRPGs and introducing difficulty, um, they to me they fail when when the difficulty curve is not um smooth. It's not it, asymptotal. Is that the right math term? When it, when it's not a smooth transition up. When it when it has peaks and valleys and random spikes, which mm-hmm. I I think this game has. Um, I don't think it has a smooth difficulty curve. Um, even if you are savvy to the genre, know that you should be, you know, stat, you know, you've got to outstat your enemies, period. Um, even still, um, it, it, sometimes the game feels super easy and then suddenly boom, it's not at all. Um, one thing that you mentioned about jobs, like in terms of switching or that I don't think either of us mentioned about jobs in terms of switching that they took from Dragon Quest is you have to go to a specific location to do it. Yep. Uh, to Hello Work, I think is is the the name of the organization. You have to mm-hmm. go there to switch jobs. You can't. Um, it's not as a refined system as like Final Fantasy V, for example. That's the one that everybody throws out. But that made me never want to go back. Like if I was, you know, in the midst of grinding, I was like, I don't want to have to go back and then come all the way back here. You know? Yeah, totally. Like, because first of all, you're not always in Yokohama. And the only place to switch jobs is in Yokohama. And they make it easy to get back to Yokohama, but it means you have to stop doing whatever you were doing to go through a few loading screens, go in there, change your jobs, and then go through a few more loading screens to get back to where you were. So I think that was one of the biggest deterrences for experimenting was unlike Final Fantasy Tactics, which has a great job system, you got to go to this one specific place to tinker with it and so i just didn't until i till the guides told me i had to so yeah another i guess that's another good uh reason why i didn't so good glad you brought that up for sure Right, so side content in Yakuza is one of the highlights of this entire series, I think. 
and I only saved it for last in the outline because we had to talk about the new stuff. Now we'll talk about where I lost about one third of my playtime was just doing some of this optional stuff. So this introduces, this has all of your Yakuza standards, like bowling and batting cages and uh, arcade games and claw machines and all kinds of stuff. So just before we get into it, Rick, when you play Yakuza games, do you engage with a lot of these, um, not like side quests, but like the, the mini games? You know, I, I truthfully, I tend to not unless they're directly involved in like a sub subplot or the story. Um, sometimes I do like you could play Virtua Fighter in Kiwami 2, I believe that's a whole thing. Um, and it's difficult, but in this one, you know, the ones that weren't directly related to plots, I think I did, um, the two that I could think of are karaoke because of course, yeah, you if, if do you don't karaoke. do a few karaoke songs in a Yakuza game, you're a cop. Yeah, just insert a Dame Dane blasting here. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> um, the the other one that I liked a lot was the um, like seeing movies with your um, what do you call it? Your party members. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you could see movies, and it's like a little mini game where you <laughs> where you have oh, to stay awake. You have to stay awake, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's. Um, it it's got direct refer like character references like there there are sheep in there that you know it, it it's difficult to explain it's a whole thing but um they're related to another uh at to an atlas game called Catherine that I really like and it was a nice little callback I like oh it. nice yeah I I tend to like in all the Yakuza games I really like the batting cages um I fully beat all the batting cage stuff in Kiwami two which took a lot more time than I would like to admit I spent playing a batting cage minigame. Same with mini golf in Kiwami 2. I really love the mini golf uh, stuff. And I played a lot of them in this game. I didn't beat either of them in this game because they're exactly the same as they were in Kiwami 2. Not a bad thing, just the way it is. And uh, this game does introduce some new kind of side activities, which I think are excellent all around. So there is a business management mini game that starts out as a sub story. This is how you get Ari to join your party. It's not hard to get to the point where she joins your party. So like fully recommend everyone do this. However, I spent about, like I said, I played about 55 hours of this game and I swear 10 of those hours were doing the business mini game. I completely got hooked on this. Yeah, yeah, there were several play sessions that I did just to play that mini game. It's yeah. not even like, you know, isolating it as a mini game. It's not even like it's that phenomenal. There's just something about it. I think the cycle of playing one round is so quick and you get results instantly and it's so easy to sort of manipulate it that it 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 just um it has a small positive feedback loop maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm with you. Like I I ran through that stuff until I was number 1. Yeah. And it's weird because most of the Yakuza games have a kind of business mini game thing. I know that Zero does, and I, a couple others at least have, they kind of alternate like business management or Yakuza or Majima construction. They kind of alternate between these. And I hate Majima construction, and I hate the business mini game in the old games. But this one, man, just loved it. And I don't know if it's because there's a chicken hanging out in the office. I don't know if it's because Ichiban and Eri have such like a, a just a nice dynamic between the two of them. 
The shareholder meetings were really fun. And this actually became like I would ride the stationary bike and just play the business mini game for like 45 minutes. This was, <laughs> and I just like, yeah, rose to the top. You get a really good reward for rising to the top of this. Like, wholeheartedly recommend everyone do it. It's real good. Yeah. No, I'm, and by the way, I'm with you. I, is Majima Construction, was that the um, RTS sort of thing or? Yep. Mm hmm. Uh, I could not stand that. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, also in this, a couple other new mini games. You have a kind of cart riding mini game called Dragon Cart. I also beat this all the way through. I had a very good time with this. Just, I don't know. And part of it, it like the cart racing aspect is not the best. It's not Mario Kart, you know, but uh, Ichiban is so into it that I was into it too. I had a good time with that one. Did you play that one? I, I don't want to betray how you introduced me, but no, I didn't play Dragon Kart. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. It's on, it's like the far north on like the kind of the waterfront in, uh, in Yokohama. Anyway, I think that one's real fun. And uh, another one that I spent my time doing is this vocational school thing where you do these kind of trivia quizzes to get certifications. And you take these little quizzes and it's like, you know, five questions about classical music. And you'd listen to a classical piece and answer a multiple choice question about it. Or it would be like five questions about animals or the history of the Yakuza, which is the hardest one because they're bringing back the names of crime families from four games ago. And I did all of these. And this is a huge money sink because you have to pay every time you do a test. And for a long time, I did not buy gear for my party because I was spending all of it doing these tests. And I beat it. And uh, I don't think you get anything great for it. You get a trophy on PlayStation, but that's it. Uh, so I spent a ton of time doing those three, the vocational school tests, the business minigame, and Dragon Cart. Did you do any of the um, Gotta Catch Em All? The Sujimon? Oh, the Sujimon. I just kind of did like when they happened naturally. I never like hunted them. Did you? Yeah, no. When it got introduced, I was like, oh, that's that's cute. That's cool. Um, and then I was like, I no part of me wants to go hunting for this. Right. Um, <laughs> so as they came up, yeah. Yeah, same. <laughs> same. They do have a cool little like Pokedex type thing where you can go look at like the 3D models of all the enemies in the game and their strengths and weaknesses. And I didn't like study that for battle purposes, but it was kind of cool to just go look like look through a codex of all the enemies. I enjoyed that. Were there any other side activities that you did spend a bunch of time on? You know, not that I could think of. I spent when when it gets introduced really early on that can collecting um, game oh, yeah. that you dri drive around in that cart. I did that quite a bit. Um, I don't think it's worth it to do that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. But I, I don't know something about that when I first did it. Um, I, I did it a lot, but I don't think I don't think that was particularly good or rewarding. You you start out early in the game, like when the homeless you know, plot is at its strongest at the very beginning. And you're, they give you a mechanic for like how to scrounge for quarters under vending machines and like how to do can collecting and stuff like that. And I, I thought like, oh, is money going to be really rare in this game? And then like an hour and a half later, you have more money than I will ever have in my entire life. <laughs> so don't really need to do can collecting and stuff. You're right. 
Yeah, it's like in the beginning, your quest is find a find a hundred, two hundred, five hundred yen underneath vending machines. Fast forward seven hours, get three million yen. Yeah, it's like, okay. As, as a what quest, is this? what is yeah. the economy? Yeah. So, yeah, side activities. I don't do arcade stuff in these games because I don't like those arcade games. I could go my entire life without playing Space Harrier again, and I would be fine. Uh, but what I do play in these games are the side quests, which they call sub-stories in the Yakuza games. And these are where the goofy side of Yakuza shines through, because these, the main quests in these games are always crime melodrama. Where this game gets its goofy reputation is through these side stories, and there are a lot of them. I did every one that I found naturally, but I didn't go hunting for other side quests. And uh yeah, Rick, did you do how do you engage with these sub stories? Man, it 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 honestly it's dependent on the game. I did way more in Zero um and Kiwami 1 because and and this is 100% my fault. Um the way that I played these, I played Zero and 7 back to back and then Kiwami 1 and 2 back to back and you know, I I just was getting a little bit burnt out towards the end of, of the second game in each of those, but the the side content is awesome um one of one of them well there are two that i like quite a bit one of them we sort of alluded to earlier with nancy chan um that <laughs> you you get that summoned through a whole big quest and it's 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 a whole thing um it's it's it's, it's very good um another one that i liked quite a bit was finding that naked dude from the soap land that's just co- he he lost his clothes somehow oh yeah <laughs> that that one was pretty good um you have to like escort him around town mm-hmm. avoiding like you know random people spraying hoses and stuff like that yeah <laughs> yeah people just happen to be spraying hoses just all over the street and he's like oh yeah. my bubbles that are hiding my shame <laughs> get me away uh that was pretty cool i i'm i'm like you i largely just as they came up naturally that's how i chose to engage with it i really like the one with um there's a person who's trying to get his like homemade spicy kimchi uh, business off the ground. And so you have to take these spicy kimchi samples around and give them to all these people who are lacking the courage or the strength to do something. So there's like a high school girl that's like too afraid to talk to her crush and she eats this spicy kimchi and it's so hot that she like runs up to him and has the courage to to talk and Goofy stuff like that. We mentioned the Baby Fetish Club. That's a classic Yakuza sub-story thing. It is... I kind of forgot about it. It's in Yakuza 6, which I played, you know, a couple months before this game. So I kind of forgot. But then, like, when it came up, I was like... I almost squealed. I was like, oh, it's back! You know, it's it's just very, very funny. Let's see. There's another one with this guy named Mr. Masochist who oh yeah you remember that guy (laughs) he loves going to these like bdsm clubs but he's he's so desensitized like he can't feel anything anymore and he's kind of lost his will to live and stuff like that and you have this whole quest to you know (laughs) do something that will make him feel anything and uh i won't spoil how that ends because it's very funny but this is the kind of stuff that these side stories do it's these very very goofy but also some like also often very very heartfelt at the same time and 
this is kind of like where the magic of Yakuza is for me. I think more so than the crime drama is these side stories and stuff like that. 1000%. Absolutely. It's, it's what gives this game its charm. You know, I, it's funny. I, I was streaming, um, I think Kiwami 2 on Discord, uh, with some friends, you know, from, from, uh, home. And, you know, they would tune in and see all the like beat em up action. And they're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then they'd look away. And the next minute they'd look over and I'm like escorting this game's version of Michael Jackson down the street. <laughs> and they were like, what did I miss? And I was like, dude, this is Yakuza, man. You got to yeah. keep up. This goes a mile a minute. Yeah, that's it's so good. I the kimchi one, I remember that one. That <laughs> that was super good. Um is is it this one? Some of them are also touching too. Like is it this one or a previous Kiryu one where it's something like you befriend a, a woman and it turns out that she's a ghost or something? Is that is that in this one or is that in one of the Kiwamis? That doesn't sound familiar, so I can't can't say one way or the other. Okay. You know, I like the crime drama. I like the story with the characters of Ichiban and Nanba and how their stories go and their relationships with each other. But this is where I get the most joy out of playing Yakuza games is seeing these sub stories because they often present themselves in certain ways. And then it becomes heartfelt when you don't think it's going to go in that direction or something like that. So you, you kind of get the feeling like, um, I don't know, it, it comes off as like insensitive sometimes with the things that are happening in the sub stories, but then you you see like, no, this these this game has a lot of heart and I think their heart's in the right place a lot of times. Um and then some of these are just like actually very touching little stories um with goofy things in between or not. And that's that's one of the series' greatest strengths, too, is like, you know, back when I was talking about the battle system, I said, I wish they would have just committed. With these sub-stories and these minigames, they commit. Like, they go all in. Like, there are, it's not just like um, Skyrim, where you go get the quest, go find something for the quest, or go kill something, and then report back. It's like, you'll show up for one sub-story, and you're playing a minigame that is specific to that sub-story. Like... You know, in in past you're in, in past games, you're you're calling sex hotlines. You're getting weird <laughs> magazines for children. You're escorting Michael Jackson down the street. Like, there's just so much to do, and they're not afraid to lean into that. Uh, and like, yeah, I'm with you. That's that's what I love the most about these games. I think. Yeah, they are. The hit rate on them is makes them worth like doing, doing as many of them as you can. I think like. And you may come across some of them that seem very boring. Like the take the kimchi one, for example. This guy will give you three samples of his spicy kimchi and say, like, please give this to anyone that you think might like it. And you're like, okay, typical, you know, RPG quest. These items give it to these three people, right? But the flavor in what you're doing in them is so good and so entertaining and or heartfelt that they're, it's easy to forget that what you're actually doing in that quest is just take this item, give it to three people. But that's not what you remember from it. Whereas in, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles, your side quests are literally go collect 10 of this and come back. And that's all it is. There is no flavor. Whereas in this, it is all flavor and it's delicious flavor. Delicious, spicy kimchi flavor. Yes. So 
yeah. Any other side activities that you think are worth mentioning? No, man. You covered them all. All right. So I think it's time to get into final thoughts before we get into spoiler town for the episode. So guest always goes first. Uh, Rick, would you give this game a recommendation? Or is there anything else you would like to say kind of in summary before we go to spoiler town? It is. I, I do recommend this game. It is maybe not as good of a jumping in point as Yakuza 0 or Kiwami 1, but it will work. It's not perfect, but there's so much about it that is good that it's hard not to recommend it. Um, at this point, it's probably going on sale. You know, I it's been long enough, right? And it's a major, major studio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No reason not to. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think that, number one, if you've played any of the other Yakuza games and you liked it, then you will like this unless you hate the combat. I think that's the only thing that would be a real sticking point here, because everything that makes the other Yakuza games really good, in my opinion, is also here in this game. And I happen to like the combat more than I like the combat in the old games, uh, because I found it to be extremely frustrating, and I would often switch those old games down to easy mode just so I could get past those boss fights. Um, But yeah, in this game, I think they succeeded in the two main things they changed. Like, I I love Ichiban as a character, and I like the combat. So again, if you like the Yakuza series, this is a no-brainer recommendation. And then to kind of, for people who've never played a Yakuza game, I think this is, like you said, it's fine to jump into this one as your first one. You're not going to be confused about what's going on. You might miss some of the kind of callbacks to older games, but I don't think that's going to ruin your enjoyment because I think those callbacks are strong enough to stand on their own a little bit. But I, I think I, talking through it, I think I still would recommend Yakuza 0 as your first one. Yakuza 0 came out like, what, five years ago? It, this isn't like saying you need to play a PS2 game so you can understand the nuances of a PS5 game. It's not like that. Yakuza 0 was a PS4 game that generation, you know. So it's not like you have to dive into something that's like horribly outdated in order to get it. And I think Yakuza 0 is a better game in most ways other than combat, I think. I I was going to say I love the combat in 0. I, and Kiwami 1, I really did. But I agree with you. It It is, in most ways, a better game. I think it's definitely, at the very least, um, for some of the callbacks that happen in, in 7, it's worth it to play Zero first. Yeah. So, a little housekeeping before Spoiler Town. First things first, Rick, I want to give you another chance to plug uh, Pixel Project Radio and uh, where people can find you. That's very kind of you, Dave. Um, yep, we are Pixel Project Radio. It's me and my dear friend, Ben. Um, we do deep dives and analyze different games, play through them, talk about them. Uh, we try to be like stuff you should know, but with video games. And, you know, almost as funny, uh, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could find us wherever you get podcasts. Um, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google, whatever you want. And you can also find them down in the show notes for this episode. Uh, there will be links to everything Pixel Project Radio down there. Once again, Pixel Project Radio has my highest recommendation for uh, people. If you like this show, I find it very hard to believe you would not also really like 
Pixel Project Radio. So please check them out. Now, uh, to talk about me for a second, um, <laughs> if you're going to tap out now because you want to avoid spoilers for Yakuza 7, um, thank you for listening this far. And it would be a big help to me if you subscribed if you haven't already. If you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a rating and review if your platform allows it. And if you want to come chat about video games or other uh, things in life, you know, video games and non-video game stuff, we have a Discord. I keep saying we. I have a Discord. I I am the only consistent person on this show. I have a Discord server. Uh, where people can come in and talk about uh, video games, four tales from the backlog stuff. Uh, my other podcast, a top three podcast. We also have uh, top three stuff going on in the Discord. And like I said, you want to talk about movies, uh, life in general, stuff like that. Come on in, hang out. We have a great group of people in there. Good times. So we are going to take a little break when we come back. It's spoiler time for Yakuza 7. All right, I'm back with Rick talking spoilers for Yakuza Like a Dragon. And I want to just get into kind of the the story stuff. And I don't know, like the, the stuff at the beginning seems kind of like stand. We talked about the, the homeless kind of like the part, the point in the game where you are a group of homeless people and how you don't feel homeless because first you find temporary housing very quickly. And like you said, after about an hour, you have more money than you know what to do with, which I spent taking tests. So when I first started this game and I had heard people talking about like this kind of homeless plot, I thought that this was going to be a game that makes a lot of, you know, commentary on the state of how homeless people are treated and I did not think this game really followed through on that much. It, you know, it, it didn't go all in. It didn't put both feet into the pool. What I did appreciate, you know, I, I kind of criticized the way that they, you know, um, characterized Nanba with alcohol earlier, which it, it, they really, you know, now that we're in the spoiler section, it's really a Dachi, the former police, uh, police dude that's really more of the alcoholic than, than any of them. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. I do, I did <laughs> like how there are several instances in the beginning where Nanba is just like, you know, to, to, to Kasuga, to Ichiban, he's like, do you think any of us want to be here? Like, do you think we chose this? Like, nobody is here because, because of, you know, their own free will. This was one bad, one bad choice. I think they, I think he says something like that. I, I did appreciate that because that is, you know, that's reality. Yeah. And that's as far as it goes, though, because once you're. Yes. Once the story moves to a point where you now have an apartment to stay in and you have more money than I will ever have in my entire life, uh, the homeless camp just kind of turns into a like, 
like they were in the other Yakuza games. They are spies for the, you know, the watchers, you know, the homeless people are being paid off to spy on people on the street. And that is how they're used later in the game, uh, too. So you start out with this kind of like, oh, this is going to be a game about the plight of homeless people. And then you you get a little bit later where it's like, oh, they're going to delve into the plight of sex workers, but they don't. It's just kind of a temporary stop uh, along the way. Yeah, yeah, they kind of, they they dip their toes in it, but they're not afraid to jump, or they're too afraid to jump in to continue with that metaphor. But it's, and that's something that the yuck, the previous games have been criticized, particularly um, those two things, their treatment of, of um, you know, fo- folks suffering from houselessness and sex workers. And, you know, they tried to do something with Bleach Japan, almost which i don't even think we mentioned so far oh yeah not yet it doesn't really you know it doesn't really go anywhere meaningful yeah it like bleach japan kind of starts out with it where it's like these people seem like they have good intentions but they're going about it in a way that conflicts with the way your party is trying to go about their business so they're set up as the villains right from the beginning when all they're all they're really trying to do is clean up the streets you know it's not even that like their their whole slogan is like you know taking the gray morality out of Japan and bleaching it white but mm-hmm. it's not you know they only seem to attack sex workers and that's it mm-hmm. um endlessly ironic though that their you know name is bleach japan and that acronym is bj right that's yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i'm sure is i'm sure somebody caught that if it wasn't intentional right from the beginning oh they knew <laughs> And I, I say all this stuff to say, like, I don't think that this game needed to be a, about, capital A, about, you know, homeless issues or sex worker issues. But it did both times kind of say, like, okay, I, I wonder if they're going to go somewhere with this. And they, they don't really, other than Bleach Japan is set up to be the the villain because they are, like you said, very black and white about sex work like this is wrong it needs to be out that's as deep as they go and then with the homeless camp too uh, you know you have that quote that you said from nanba and kind of how the people in the neighborhood are taking advantage of some of the people in the camp but that's as deep as they go uh, with that kind of stuff kind of like how in you know persona 5 they start out the game by going with this really heavy subject and then they really abandon it and go back into you know, boy, bankers sure are corrupt, aren't they? You know, and this game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this game really abandons that stuff when they get heavy, heavy into the Yakuza or the organized crime plots. And, you know, that's fine. It's just the way that they portrayed it, like through Nanba and through um some, oh, I forget the name of the, of the soap land that, um, the lady that reminds me of Jamie Lee Curtis runs anyway, they, um, they, they showed that they have the foresight and the writing capability to look into it in a way that would be interesting. They just didn't. But like you said, I mean, when it goes into the Yakuza stuff, it's, it's fine because that's fun and that's exciting. Yeah. And like I said before in the non-spoiler part, I don't, I wasn't enthralled by the Yakuza subplot, but it was okay because it made some of these moments possible. And 
what this game is really like i don't even remember the name of the bad guy if i didn't write it down like the final villains in the game i mean i remember aoki i don't remember the 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 guy you fight in the final boss i wouldn't remember his name if i didn't write it down in the notes so like how good is that plot if i can't remember the main villain's name you know but it it does give you the the relationships between ichiban and some of the other characters like you know the whole game is building on this like confrontation between ichiban and the young master who when ichiban gets out of jail you don't hear anything from the young master and you'd seen a cutscene earlier where it sure looked like he like he died or something like that uh because he's he's taking some experimental drugs or something like that and so then you find out the young master is alive and you are kind of building up to this confrontation and that's like for about half the game, that's what you're trying to do, right? Trying to get in the same room as the young master who's now running for uh, political office. And that plot was a lot more engaging to me than this like counterfeiting scheme with the Kami Jewel and stuff like that. Like, I really don't care about that plot. I, I think I'm a little sweeter on it than you are, but you know, the whether it's the literal politics of the city or like the politics between the crime families, it, it it's a lot like star Wars, you know, the politics in star Wars, they are fine until you start like really looking at it. And mm-hmm. then there are just so many questions. It's like, it's one of those things where I don't think about it. I just kind of yeah. let it wash over me. Um, I'm, I was actually a really big fan of the Ejin three. I, I just love a good turf war, I guess. Um, yeah. When they, they set up the Comey jewel to be some of the most fearsome villains ever. Like the, the execution scene where, um, you know, one of the Comey jewel is on a chair and he's like, you know, I could, I could kill him. You know, I, I know where they're at. I could get them for you. And they just take out a crossbow speaking Korean and just get him. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. But, and I could be misremembering because, you know, f- full disclosure i played this game last year and didn't get a proper playthrough in before this but you know once you fully meet them they're not nearly that malicious i i don't know i i I was a bit let down but but i still really thoroughly enjoyed it i really like um oh i can't remember her name the the purple-haired woman yes it's like sung he song he yes i thought i was like song we but i know that's something else yes i like her a lot as a character and i liked um what's his face the stylish dude zhao i liked him a lot too oh zhao yeah yeah zhao started out as like this almost like i thought he was going to be like a replacement for majima almost he starts <laughs> out very over the top like that but he quit once he joins your party he's it's very quickly you're like no, actually, this guy's okay. I, I like him. I didn't use him a lot because he's not super useful or wasn't for me. I used Junji a lot. Those are the two characters that we didn't mention because they start out as villains that end up joining your party. Junji is actually a body double uh, of the real uh, Han Junji, who is a villain in a, a later Yakuza game, um, which is very funny to me that this body double refuses to give it up. They have some conversations about this too, where it's like, Hey man, like you can, you can stop dyeing your hair blue anytime you want to. Uh, but (laughs) he's committed to it. 
Um, I enjoyed both of those guys uh, in the party. They they joined late and like their support conversations either unlocked really slowly or were really hard to get to. So I didn't end up liking them as much as the core party members, I guess, but they're fine and useful in different ways in combat sometimes. Yeah, I'm with you about Zhao specifically. I I didn't really use him too much. I Anytime that I have a party that exceeds the battle limit, I always rotate in and out. Um, the first JRPG I ever played was Final Fantasy IX, and there is a part later in the game, in that game, where you have to use everybody in two separate parties. So if you didn't level somebody up, tough shit. So I always do that in these mm-hmm. games. So I made sure to use them, but like... Yeah, like you said, they just joined too late and like they are great characters though. Yeah, Zhao really is like this this game's Majima. Sort of. Sort of this game's Majima. He will never replace Majima in my heart, but he's he's kind of playing that role at of like this unhinged crazy dude. You never know what he's gonna do, uh, especially before he joins your party. He's kind of set up that way. Um I kinda like those uh those three crime families too because especially with the uh oh the jinguan the korean one and uh the uh, i forget what the the chinese one is called liu mong right they are also marginalized and taken advantage of in their own ways and so they fit really well with ichiban in the party and this is something like as i live in korea and i've seen some oh stories and there's actually a really popular Netflix show right now about the plight of Korean people living in Japan um in the past where like some of this it's cartoonish because it's a yakuza game but there is a ring of truth in that uh for sure so I did enjoy that part and I like how they fit with Ichiban in the party yeah yeah it's a lot more in depth than just you know the sharks versus the jets kind of thing yes yeah. you know they're real people. Which, in past Yakuza games, this is one of the things I don't like about some of the Yakuza games, and I can't remember which ones, where some of them, it's just like foreigners are the bad guy. The Chinese mafia is the villain in this game, and then this game, the Korean mafia is the villain, and stuff like that. And I know there's a lot of tension between those three countries in particular uh, throughout their history, uh, which is something I've become more sensitive to since moving to Korea. So that always kind of bothered me about those stories in particular, and I liked how they actually dug into a bit more of a human side to it in this game. Again, this is a Yakuza game, though, and that's not what this game is about at the end of the day, but they do talk about it, and they do have, I don't know, to the extent that, like, these rich and powerful crime families are being subjugated, you know, not like regular people. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I was hoping to get your input on that, um, you know, being that you live in, in Korea now. So that, that's interesting to hear. Um, I, I didn't really know that there was history between those three areas in, in real life. Oh, yeah, they, they basically spent everything leading up to the end of World War II fighting each other, especially Korea and Japan, who Korea has been basically under assault from China and or Japan for its entire history, so uh, up until the end of World War II. Uh, so there's a lot of bad blood, and so it, it kind of 
like to see in a Japanese game to see the Korean mafia as the bad guys was like, oh, okay, you know. But, you know, nationalism being what it is, an American game, well, I was going to say an American game would do the same thing, but many American games have done the same thing, you know, putting foreigners as the bad guys. So this isn't a novel thing for this game or this series. No, but th- this is also not really an American game, right? I mean, th- not really. Well, yeah, but I just like, if I'm going to call out Japanese games for being nationalistic, I would also note that American games probably do this more than Japanese games. So it's not like... Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, it's not like I'm just singling out Japan here. So you fight a tiger in this game, which is <laughs> hard cut. Uh, you find uh, you find out that Nanba uh, has not been telling you the entire truth and that Nanba's brother disappeared. So Nanba has been kind of posing as a homeless person or just like, I forget if he's posing or taking advantage of the fact that he is actually homeless. I think he's mostly posing uh, to spy on the Kami Jewel kind of across the river there. And this kind of sets up like a mini climax, like kind of in the first third of the game where Nanba's not who you thought he was. And then he leaves the party and he, you think that, oh, Nanba's going to turn into a villain. You actually have to fight him in a boss fight. That was the, that was the first boss fight that I had alluded to that gave me a lot of trouble because you fight Nanba and who's the, who's the dude that fights with Nanba? Uh, I, it's one of the Bleach Japan leaders right i i don't remember his name but he has a gun (laughs) yeah he has a gun and he uses it a lot um and i was just getting spammed with gunshots and And that is a recipe for bullshit yakuza fights is anytime anyone has a gun especially a boss yes so that that was the that was the first one that gave me a lot of trouble i was very frustrated that's in chapter nine i think and Eventually, you convince Nanba to come back to the team. He's super angry with you guys for just plot reasons, I guess. I, I, I never got the feeling that Nanba had a great reason to be like super angry with everybody, but he is. It's kind of like stop standing in my way type thing. Yeah, I, I kind of read it less that he was just generally angry at the situation and it was misplaced at us because, you know, his point of view at the time was he used us to get to this spot. He doesn't care about us now, but we still care about him. And to him, that's just distracting. So mm-hmm. it was, that's, I kind of read it as just him being generally frustrated and taking it out on Ichiban because, um, you know, that's classic JRPG good guy. Ichiban loves his friends to the right. end. And this is one of the first moments where Ichiban gets like really emotional about how, you know, like, Hey, you may claim that you hate me and you don't care about me, but I care about you, and uh, we're we're gonna get this group back together. One of the first moments where you get that, because well, Nanba nursed Ichiban back to health when he was uh, when he was shot, and they they form a bond real quickly in the game. So it was kind of I don't know, it was a bit more shocking to me that he's suddenly like that he was acting the whole time, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 like. For all intents and purposes, you know, this is Ichiban's new Aniki, right? I mean, he's out of the Yakuza. This is what he's got now. Mm -hmm. So Nanba comes back to the party, and uh, this happens as you're kind of 
trying to, well, as you do in Yakuza games, infiltrate a big building, fight a bunch of dudes, do a boss fight, and then you find yourself fighting a tiger, which is becoming more and more common uh, in the series. Not that I ever get sick of fighting a tiger, but uh, very funny. Uh, the tiger is, uh, the tiger was the first boss fight where I was like, oh, this is hard. This thing has, this thing doesn't have weaknesses that I can just like pound over and over again. And it, it would like kill some of my characters in one hit and stuff like that. But that just turned into a long boss fight and not like a, you know, I need to quit and go grind. It just took a long time. Yep, yep, they're they're taking the best of JRPGs and the worst of JRPGs. <laughs> but I I don't know. I guess if I'm going to be in a long drawn out battle of attrition type boss fight, let me be fighting a tiger as a group of humans, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be worse. So, jumping ahead as we kind of meander our way through the plot is one of the most memorable things in the game for me in a bad way. Uh, which is the fight against Majima and uh, Saijima, who is one of the main characters from Yakuza 4 and 5. This is Majima's friend from the pre-timeline, so they are back together here, and kind of makes sense that Majima's just hanging out here because he has a history with the, uh, the Yakuza down in Osaka here, I guess. I didn't expect it, and I think I squealed out loud when I saw him walking down the stairs. I don't know, like, great reveal, right? Yes. And, you know, you can't top the Japanese voice actor whose name eludes me right now, but the English voice actor does a pretty good job. This, I, I loved this scene. Um, I, I was so hyped to see Majima. He's one of my favorite characters in the entire series, if not, well, if not my favorite just so chaotic and he brings that energy here so cool um and i love that they talk about him like he's like he's this legend like they're like you know i've heard talk of the mad dog of shimano like is that you and he's like what does it matter why are you asking so many questions come find (laughs) out and it's it's so good yeah because this is fairly far into the game 20 plus hours into the game i want to say so like by this point i had thought there's not going to be any, you know, callbacks to Majima and Kiryu uh, and these characters that we love uh, from the older games. I thought this, and I, I somehow was not spoiled on this at all uh, going into this. So I, I really thought like they are really turning a page here. So I didn't expect this at all. And it was awesome to see. However, this is the one I was talking about where I breezed through the first part of this game. I was like level 35 or something like that. And Majima's level 50. And he will fuck you up so badly if you're not also above level 50. And this could have been like an awesome experience to see Majima again, have a boss fight against him, have this awesome moment, all of your memories and everything coming together here. But I had to put that on hold and go grind for a few hours so that I could come back and beat him. And it totally sucked the wind out of this uh, for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I had grinded up previously because of um, uh, the Nanba plus dude with a gunfight. So I, I did have to do a bit more grinding, but it wasn't extreme. Still, still a really tough fight though. Like notoriously difficult. This gets brought up 
every time. Yep. I think this is the hardest fight in the whole game for even, even if you are at the right level, I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely up there. There's another special boss, um, that gave me trouble because of who I picked in my party. Oh yeah, that'll do it. I had a lot of time to think about it as I was grinding for the Majima fight, which, uh, (laughs) which character should be in my party. Um, we didn't mention it before, but I do like how your characters level to some extent if they're not in the active party. That's something that every single party-based RPG should do, I think. Uh, I'm like I'm glad Pokemon started doing this. Yeah, one of the worst parts about grinding in Final Fantasy VI is it takes four times as long as it should because people don't level when they're not actually fighting. And realism be damned, help me save some time, you know? Yeah, at the very least, it should be an option. Like, I think when they first implemented that into Pokemon, it was you could turn it off. Yep. So anyway, Majima fight, very good. Very happy to see Majima. And he became one of my favorite Poundmates summons to uh, anytime I, I need a little Majima hit, just summon him in, have a good time. That was one that I never skipped because yeah. it's so good. I don't know if we've ever like fully talked about this, but like Majima is one of my favorite characters in like any video game. Like I love Majima so much. I think it's because I played Zero first and I got that side of him before he became this like unhinged lunatic. And it was kind of jarring going into Kiwami 1 to see that he has turned into what he is in all the later games after what you see in Zero. I mean, it makes sense, but it's jarring. It is a little jarring. It's, it's, yeah, he's, he's scary because of how mercilessly cruel he can be at the drop of a hat without even thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. But despite all that, he is just my favorite and I was so happy to see him. And I think in, in this point in like the chronological story order that we're going in, you get the revelation about the babies in the lockers, um, <laughs> which first it's one baby. One baby in a subway station locker, which is, you know, not unexpected for a Yakuza game to have something like a baby in a locker. But then you get the revelation that there are two babies in lockers, like two lockers apart from each other at the same time, which is the ultimate in Yakuza. You know, you thought you had this figured out, but actually, dun dun dun, there's a second baby. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think this is the textbook definition of Deus Ex Machina, but it might as well be because it's like <laughs> oh, you were wondering, you know, how these story beats are going to fit together. It's because there was a second baby. Yeah. <laughs> Call Mari Povich because we've got another baby on our hands. Yep. And it's <laughs> it's yeah, it was ridiculous. And it's a, you know, classic switch the babies uh mistake where uh, Arakawa's son is actually Ichiban, but they got mixed up and pulled the wrong baby out of the locker because, as a reminder, there are two babies being stored in subway station lockers uh, at the exact same time, you know, within the same 15 minutes. (laughs) And, oh man, a lot of these revelations get like a big eye roll from me. And I think I just laughed when they were like, actually, second baby. And I was like, what? This, what? Uh, now I'm I'm fully admitting that I should know this, but do we get the revelator? Um, do we get the knowledge that um, Arakawa knew that Ichiban was his son? I I cannot remember. 
I don't know if they actually say it out loud, but I think it's pretty like the last cutscene that Ichiban and Arakawa have together. I think it's pretty strongly hinted at that Arakawa knows. Okay, I I I thought that was. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't mis misremembering. I'm I like that because it recontextualizes the entire origin of Ichiban. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because. Arakawa shows up and says that he gave his finger because of his reputation. Um, and that is true. But at the same time, <laughs> I can't imagine that happening if it was somebody that wasn't Ichiban. You know what I mean? It, it's, I, I forget which reviewer said it. It might have been uh, James Stephanie Sterling, but like having a plot, tis- plot twist recontextualize the story before is the sign of a good plot twist. And that's mm-hmm. this. This was good because you start, you were already wondering, you know, throughout the game, like, why did Arakawa shoot Ichiban? Why did Arakawa plant this, you know, this bloody bill on him and stuff like that? And I think that plot line gets resolved like shortly before you find this out or shortly after or something like that. But it, it does, knowing that Ichiban is actually his son the whole time, kind of even recontextualizes the stuff that happens before he goes to prison, where he's just doing this kind of like caretaker work for him, for his son, which is not actually his son. And we're going to start getting into tangled spider webs of stuff uh, if we keep going with this. But it was a cool plot twist um, in a game and a series full of plot twists that I don't always like. Uh, this one was cool. I enjoyed it. And like you said, recontextualizes the personal story here. like. This is a personal plot twist. This isn't a Yakuza counterfeiting Bills plot twist. I don't really care about those. This one's cool. Ichiban eventually meets up with the young master who has taken on a new identity. And they have a little talk where like seems like they recognize each other, but they don't really get into anything. We have like this kind of conference down in uh, Osaka, and I'm I'm blanking on some of the details here, but what's important is that Ichiban gets really fucking mad, cocks back to throw a punch, uh, that would not be a good idea, and someone catches his fist. And as soon as this happens, I, I kid you not, I thought, oh, could it be? Because we've already seen Majima at this point. I thought, oh, could it? No, they wouldn't. Oh, but maybe. And then it is. It's Kiryu who has come out of nowhere. Not sure why he's there, but I don't care because Kiryu's here. Yeah, yeah. This this is probably one of, if not my very favorite scene in this game. Um, the reason that Ichiban is so despondent and volatile and angry is because he believes Arakawa to be dead. There is this whole ordeal where oh, right. it, yeah. it's pretty convincing that Arakawa, Arakawa uh, had been assassinated. So he thinks that. So he his mental health has plummeted. Um, and he's just, this person is an info leaker or something or could, you know, help him get to Aoki and both English and Japanese performances are just phenomenal. Like he, there's so much just raw anger 
And when when Kiryu comes up, classic Kiryu, just stronger than anything in the universe and cool as a cucumber, <laughs> just comes in and he's like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and and one, of, one of his lines, he's like, you know, he says that he could tell him what Aoki's next move is. And Ichiban's like, okay, well, like, fucking tell me. And Kiryu's like, I don't think I want to, or I don't feel like it right now because of what you've just done. <laughs> it's like totally <laughs> big brothering so him good. right there or like, you know father figure move right there by the way at this point in the series kiryu is like at least 50 years old probably 60 years old and he's still just like punking ichiban like this it's very very good yeah yeah and it lead like as anybody would expect because we fought majima already it does lead to a fantastic fight with kiryu um where, you know, essentially he's like, you know, I want to make sure that you're, I want to test you to make sure that you're worth, you know, my helping you, giving you this information. And Ichiban's talking a huge game. He's like, I, you know, I just lost somebody so important to me, many people, and, you know, I might kill you. And, you know, Kiryu, he just smiles and he's like, that's great. Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> I think Kiryu also has another line, which is kind of echoing, like, if you've played a lot of the games starring Kiryu, you know that. Kiryu has lost people that's special to him too throughout the course of the series. But being, you know, the the stoic master that he is, he doesn't really like, you know, doesn't try to like one up him or anything like that. He's just like, all right, Duke's up. Let's do it. We solve problems the way that people like us solve problems, right? I get to know people through my fists, I think he says. Yeah. <laughs> this this fight actually gave me a ton of trouble. Like yeah. this was so hard for me and i without thinking i went in with um nanba saiko and eri and canonically kiryu does not hit women oh yeah so in this in this fight he will not attack um those two party members oh that's cool i mean sucks for your experience there but that's cool that they thought of that yeah, it basically turned into a two-on-one because, like, he's so strong. Um, Arian Psycho basically were on debuff and healing duty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't have a ton of trouble with this fight, but I did have a good time. Like, because I think I was super leveled from preparing for Majima that now I was, like, fine for this fight. This was really funny for me to just knowing what Kiryu is and what he's capable of and what I've done as Kiryu as the main character through seven previous games, seeing Eri like do her lanyard attacks against him, like pick him up by the neck and swing him by like a lanyard or calling in the orbital laser to attack him or um, calling in Majima on pound mates was a nice little thing during this fight. I had a great time. I love that it's it's a phased boss fight. So there are four phases and he starts in his rush style and then he goes to brawler right. and then to beast and then finally dragon style. Yeah. And it's like, oh, fuck. It's so good. And so like, I think if you if this was your first Yakuza game, like I think you would get that Kiryu is this revered figure and you would get that he's the strongest dude who's ever been. But you would miss out on those little things of like what it's like to call in Majima for pound mates or to see him go through those different fighting styles that you had in Yakuza Zero. So these are the that's kind of like the things that like I think this would land as a cool moment 
if you hadn't played any of the other games, but like the way that you and I experienced this is just like, this was, this was so good. Yeah. 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 This 100%. I mean, meeting Kiryu and Majima alone makes the, makes playing zero first worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not one of those things where it's like, you know, it's telegraphed that it's important, but it's, it's hard to put into words the joy I felt when the boss like cutscene started. Ichiban punches Kiryu and he just takes it in the head without moving. Yep. Yep. And then, <laughs> and then his name flashes like Kazuma Kiryu. It's like, oh my God. First of all, I was like, this is cool. It's cool and surprising and awesome to see Kiryu. I was kind of disappointed because, like, not to spoil the ending of Yakuza 6, but, you know, there's an ending that makes you think maybe Kiryu's out of this. You know, he's out of the life. And obviously he's not because he's here doing this in this game. And so for a second, I was like, oh, man, couldn't you just retire, you know, like you've tried so many times before? But obviously not. He He can't totally stay away from this. It makes me wonder, like, in the next Yakuza game, is Kiryu going to show up again? Is Majima going to show up again? Are they going to keep doing these cameos? And part of me hopes that they don't, especially with Kiryu. Like, Majima, you know, Majima is a wild man. He can come and go as he pleases, but part of me kind of hopes they just let Kiryu go. Yeah, yeah. I Again, I haven't played, you know, four or five or six, and he has a line Kiryu does when you first meet him because like when he holds Kiryu back from murdering that dude I that's not the first time we see him before in that brawl that takes place um with Daigo Dojima um in that like not a ballroom but it looks like a town hall kind of place Mm -hmm. you remember that yeah Kiryu is a quote-unquote hired bodyguard just extra muscle right um he's in a disguise but we know (laughs) um but he says something along the lines of like, I don't, not all of us have the luxury of living out in the open. So what I took from that as somebody that hasn't been through six is like something happened to where he's like, he's not retired, but like, he can't be like, he can't be walking free. Like he's got to lay low. Yeah. Yeah. I will, uh, plead the fifth. So moving on (laughs) play through the series. I, I really like the, I really like how the story goes in, the the later games, especially uh, six is a lot breezier than four and five are fucking long games. And six is a lot breezier. It's a lot easier to get to that conclusion, I think. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend going through that. You'll see what I mean. Anyway, after you fight Kiryu, you get this sweet cutscene of Ichiban in full on kind of fantasy mode, fighting an actual dragon, which I wrote down because it's just visually really really cool uh like i was like wide-eyed mouth open like full-on just like yes give me this shit right here uh during this dragon cut scene um maybe symbolizes ichiban kind of or like kind of like a passing of the torch between from kiryu to ichiban a little bit i i mean perhaps but we quickly learned that like Ichiban didn't necessarily win that fight. <laughs> like we, we won, you know, because video game, but like Ichiban gets knocked the fuck out. <laughs> they, they had to make sure that, you know, we're not beating the shit out of Kiryu. 
Kiryu is still untouchable, right? But like in a Ichiban won Kiryu's respect from this. Uh, so he's able to continue on on the quest. That That's kind of what I mean. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah, this it it looks incredible. It's an incredible scene. Did I didn't like it. It's just a, a taste thing. I'm not, it wasn't poorly done. It was really well done. It was at this point, I think, where I was like, because this whole game, you know, Ichiban is, quote unquote, seeing the world through the eyes of a gamer. Um, I was convinced for a while that it was going to turn into like a mental illness thing. Oh, kind of wish it would have. It would have been interesting. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think at this point I was like, OK, this is just, you know, he, he he just really does see the world that way. So, yeah, everybody kind of like treats this this Dragon Quest fantasy as this very just, oh, yeah, that's Ichiban. That's just how he is or in a in a kind of cute way and no one's ever like hey man this isn't this isn't a fucking game like people died 5 minutes ago you know like no one really ever has that conversation not saying i wish that they did take it that way but it could have been another direction they could have gone and they don't really cuz i don't know I, you were doing the same thing in the game you're going through the the hero's journey here so yeah well one of my very very early theories when I was working this out was like, okay, maybe Ichiban has like schizophrenia or something. And, you know, that would explain why he had such an unusual introduction to the Yakuza Mm -hmm. because like that doesn't happen. People don't just like wait outside of the office for three months and then get inducted. And I was like, maybe that has something (laughs) to do with it. And like, maybe that's why everything is so weird, but no, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm disappointed or it was bad, but you know, that was one of my crazy theories at like five hours in. Right. It's, it's, this is one of those games where you, you can start to think about like the directions that you think they might take it and they don't really take it in any of those directions. It ends up being a lot straighter shot than any of us really expected from the first five to 10 hours. And so by this point in the game, you're just involved in this Yakuza and assassin storyline. Uh, me, all the meanwhile, like you going through this plot too, of like Ichiban trying to get elected to public office, like running against Kume to try and take power away from, uh, Aoki. And that storyline was fine. Like, I really thought that they're going to do more with that, but it just turns out to be a couple of speeches with megaphones, um, where Ichiban kind of humiliates the opponent. That was Which was fine. satisfying in its own way because... Aoki is horrible. Those scenes were good. I enjoyed those. Uh, but I kind of expected them to spend more time on this, like, let's get Ichiban, this hero of the people, you know, let's get him elected to public office against these, uh, these you know, dirty politicians and stuff like that, when it just really turns out to be a couple of cutscenes. Uh, other than raising 3 million yen, uh, which <laughs> gates your progress for a while. I had a shitload of money from business management mini games, so I just kind of paid it right away. But I can see somebody else who's like, now I have to stop playing this and I have to go grind up money. That kind of sucks. It sucks ass. And it sucks doubly because like the encounters aren't random. Like it's It's kind of like Persona in that way. Like you... Well, I guess it would be more appropriate to say it's like the earlier Yakuza titles in that way. Like there are people walking around and that's how the random battles start. It's not like mm-hmm. Pokemon, yeah. you know? 
So grinding, like, there might not be anybody around. What are you going to do? Yeah. You don't get a lot of money for battles uh, earlier in the game anyway. So, like, it would be real bad if you actually didn't have this money or didn't have close to it. Like, let's say you're like me and you spent all your money taking tests at the vocational school. And now you got to go grind up money by fighting dudes. It's uh, it would be annoying, but luckily that didn't happen to me. Did it? Didn't happen to you either, did it? No, no, I, I was fully um management pilled yeah. at that point. I I had plenty. Ichiban Confections was fucking running the entire city at that point, so I uh, I had plenty of cash. Yeah, Ichiban and Omelet the chicken yeah. rolled with an iron feather. <laughs> So, uh, going into like the final confrontation, I guess every Yakuza game is mandated by law to end with a confrontation at the top of Millennium Tower. So that's where we go. And (laughs) this is another point where the game kind of tells you like, Hey, go grind for a while before you go in here. Uh, they open up another kind of like grinding dungeon basically. So that's what I did. I went and grinded again, because I, I've played Yakuza games before. I know that there's going to be a long battle sequence with no checkpoints. And if I lose in the final boss fight, I would probably have to do all of it again. So I grinded for a while, put on some podcasts, and uh, just grinding's better than it used to be, I think, when I was younger, because I can listen to podcasts while I grind now. But I don't like grinding. I would rather not do it. So. I don't know. Did you have trouble with the final boss? You're going against the uh, assassin Tendo, who you kill, but you find out it's not really him. It's the other, or it's the assassin that was impersonating Tendo, who's a who's a yakuza guy. And then, yeah, then you have to fight Aoki. Did you have trouble with this kind of final boss sequence? I mean, no more than expected. Like, yeah, it was tough, but um, like you said, they. They tell you in no uncertain terms that this is the point of no return. Yeah. So, like, you've got to go and get all your equipment and your grinding done. So it's like, and frankly, no part of me wants to fail in the finale of a Yakuza game, like you said, and have to do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, it's too damn long. Um, So I made sure that I was super prepared. It was still a tough fight, but um, I made it through. Just kind of abuse the orbital laser attack, and then you can get another electric attack on Adachi, I think. And then I just had Saiko running, like, healing items and stuff like that. And uh, the the boss has a one-hit kill move. That's his whole gimmick, is he has, like, one move that will just one-hit kill anybody. So I think I just used Adachi to, like, because he'll show you who he's targeting, and something that sucks about the combat system is if Ichiban dies, you lose. So, yes, I knew about that mechanic going into it because I checked a guide. And I'm glad I did, because, again, if if the way I learned how to beat the final boss was by dying and then having to repeat that whole end sequence, I would have been mad. That sucks. Yeah, I think in general, I do not like the system where if your main character dies, it's game over. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, why? Unless it's, I'm not even going to try and make the argument that like 
this is Ichiban's Dragon Quest fantasy, so if he dies, the whole fantasy dies. That doesn't make it any more fun or, you know, bearable. No, there's nothing you could do to make it diegetic, <laughs> you know? It's... I just think it's dumb. I don't... Again, they borrowed the best from JRPGs, and they borrowed the worst, and this is, for me, one of the worst things. Yep, well said. But... Uh, because I knew about that going in, I was able to just sacrifice because Adachi has a kind of guard ability. So I was able to just sacrifice him whenever that attack would target Ichiban. And only did it one time. He picked on Psycho the whole he killed her like six different times throughout the fight and just, you know, keep reviving them. And this is one of those things this fight, the Kiryu fight was the first one, but this one is like the worst offender of this like once you figure the fight out, it's not that hard, but it's going to take you 15 to 20 minutes to do the whole thing because he just has so much fucking HP. So, like, it wasn't hard. I knew how to get through it, but it it was twice as long as it had any right to be. Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, after you beat the final boss, you have this confrontation with Aoki, and you you destroy him. Like, he's brought up as this like final boss type but you you think it's going to be like this you know he's actually super strong and you're going to have another super difficult fight but it's not and i like that i like that it's not and you get into this yet another like haha you had you thought you had me figured out but guess what we were recording the whole time we're broadcasting this encounter you know stuff like that so we basically get into this thing with like um how Aoki and Ichiban have this like 30 minute cutscene basically yelling at each other, saying, Aoki saying, like, you were never my friend. I never respected you. You're just like my father's lap dog. And that's how I always thought about you. And Ichiban's like, I don't care. I don't care if that's how you felt about me because I love you and stuff like that. This goes on for a long time, like a long time. And, uh, not that I think this is like this amazing story beat, but this is the part where the voice acting in Japanese like brought me to tears because he was so good at conveying like the the hurt that Ichiban was going through in that moment and like the swirl of emotions and stuff. It was like so good. And I don't know if you like if you played it with English voice acting, I recommend go check just go watch the final cutscene with Japanese cuz like Man, that guy gave 150% effort in that last scene. Yeah, no, it's it's good in English. Um I I did not get to watch it again in Japanese because like you said it it's long. Um <laughs> but yeah, yeah man, I I have no doubt. They they really put a lot of stock into getting top-notch voice actors. Mhm. Mm Again, like I don't have a whole lot to say about this story thing. It's just a very long conversation of Ichiban basically convincing Aoki that no, actually, like we're best friends. We're friends. We love each other. And pleading him to like, please drop this, you know, scheme that you're trying to run. Turn yourself in. You've already been exposed. It's coming to an end. Please accept that it's coming to an end. Either you go to jail like this or like you're going to die and I don't want you to die because I love you. And like, we're having this big conversation like this again, like, ah, oh man, the voice, like the voice acting legit brought me to tears during this last section. And then this ending that I really don't like, 
I don't like how this game ends. Like, after this emotional confrontation, Aoki decides, I am going to turn myself in. You're right, Ichiban. We have this, like, you know, connection moment. And Kume, the the Bleach Japan guy, just fucking comes in from off screen, stab, stab, stab. Aoki's dead. And that's the end of the game. Like, basically, we have a couple other cutscenes, but for the main plot, that's it. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't like, I like, do I, did I hope that Aoki would survive and become Ichiban's friend again? I don't know, but I don't like the way that this ended. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, aside from the voice acting, I didn't really, I wasn't a fan of this entire ending sequence, but I just don't find Kume or Bleach Japan to be that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have in the notes, um, the possibility, like maybe they were setting Kume up as a villain for the sequel. I hope not. I, <laughs> I couldn't care less about the dude. I really couldn't. You had spent a long time without him in the picture uh, by the time this comes up. Like the last time you saw him was at one of these campaign events, I'm pretty sure. And you basically made him look foolish in, in front of the whole crowd. And I thought that was it. And then for all of these other like very powerful people, like, and they're, you know, pulling the strings and stuff, all of those plots to come to an end. And then you have this emotional confrontation between Ichiban and Aoki at the end. And then, yeah, Kume just literally like came out and I was like, oh, that he's still in here. And then stab, stab, stab. And then that's the end of this game's uh, storyline. I didn't feel like that was in Kume's character unless I, I I guess I can see like Kume realizes that he's been taken advantage of this whole time. And this is how he's going to deal with this situation. But that doesn't mean that I like that that's how this ended. Yeah, I, I, I really feel the same way, same way as you. I, I didn't think that it was totally in character. I, yeah, I, I just, it was a very weird ending. I really expected like, uh, uh, I really expected Ryo Aoki to die another way, but it was not that. Yeah, that was not what I was expecting. And in classic, you know, I don't want to say classic JRPG or anime or anything in particular, but just in a classic fictional trope, he jumps in with a knife, stab, 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 and everyone just kind of stands there as he walks away afterwards. Like, no one really tries to do anything to him, you know? Kind of lame. Yeah, not a fan of that ending. The last bit that I wrote down is that, uh, remember how Adachi was trying to get revenge on that uh, you know, police commissioner. You probably didn't because they hadn't talked about it in a long time. They wrapped that up in a cutscene. I was kind of like, oh, right. Like when that came up, I was like, oh, right. They were talking about that. I forgot. And now we're getting a cutscene. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hadn't thought of that. I forgot about that pretty quickly, if I'm being totally honest. Yep. So I don't have anything else to say about that one. But again, just like kind of reiterating i was pretty into the the whole plot of ichiban and the group and him trying to find out what happened with his family him trying to reconnect with the young master all the things that happened as a result of that i was more into than 
earlier when they had like the Chinese counterfeiting scheme and stuff like that. And I think that's this is one of this game's biggest strengths is that because you have all of these characters that you spend time with in the party, you have the opportunity for a lot more personal storytelling than in a game where it's just Kiryu getting wrapped up in Yakuza stuff, you know, with the same four side characters for several of the games. I think that's this game's biggest uh, plot strength. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty positive on what they did with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, it's, um, Kiryu's not a lone wolf, but we never really had, well, I guess I can't really make that claim because I haven't played three through six, but, um, you know, classic Kiryu doesn't exactly have a party, uh, with, with which he's working. So it was nice to have a main ensemble rather than a main character plus supporting characters. Um, I agree with you. I, a couple of them like, uh, Zhao and Eri kind of, you know, well, I guess Eri doesn't count because she's optional, but like Zhao comes to mind, like, um, doesn't really, I, they didn't utilize him to an extreme extent, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of got the feeling he was just in the party to give you blade damage, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I didn't think about that. And like the the support conversations and stuff are kind of hard to come by for those characters that come in later. So they do kind of feel tacked on. And I, I don't think this game would have suffered if it was just the main four characters. Because those ended up being my favorites anyway. Um, and I enjoyed some of Junji's stuff and I enjoyed Zhao being a weirdo, but... Like, I, I don't think that those were totally necessary. I think they just kind of added them in because maybe you would have felt stale having the same party for the whole game, but I don't know. It almost felt like, um, I'm blanking on her name again, Song... Song He. We, Song, Song He. I did it again. Um, it almost felt like she should have been a character rather than... I was uh, waiting for that. Jingi Han or, mm-hmm. or Zhao. Yep, totally agree. But anyway... That is the end of Yakuza Like a Dragon. And yeah, is there anything you kind of wish for in Yakuza Like a Dragon 2, if we can just speak freely without regard for spoilers here? I hope I hope if they stick with turn-based, and I don't mind if they do, um, I, I prefer Zero and Kiwami 1's fighting style. I, I think I prefer just the free-roam free beat-em-up more. But um, if they do stick with turn-based, I hope they modify it and maybe learn from some of the missteps um, that we've kind of talked about. Um, because it's nice to have a, it's not, it's really nice to have another um, big and good JRPG that's not just third-person action, uh, square, 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 circle, circle, circle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be opposed if it's now. I and I haven't looked up anything like about the developers talking about this, but if it's now the Ichiban saga instead of the Kiryu saga, that's fine with me. Um, I, I'd be fine with that. I think I think he's a good main character. What else? What else would I hope for from a Like a Dragon two? I hope Kume's not the villain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just give us somebody else. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of directions they could go, a lot of them positive. So um, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely going to pick it up if it if and when it comes out. Yeah, I kind of hope, number one, I hope that they let Kiryu rest. Like, I, I don't think he can just keep making cameos. In every game, there's a Kiryu cameo and a Majima cameo. I think that works better with Majima because he's the unpredictable weirdo. I kind of hope they just let Kiryu go, like, as much as I like him. That being said, if he makes a cameo and we have more, you know, Kiryu catching a punch and, you know, or just taking a punch to the forehead and not flinching, cool, I'm I'm into that too. But uh, I kind of hope they let him go. I think the combat could use some tune-ups, you know? There's a lot of stuff I didn't use in here, a lot of stuff that's very unnecessary. I hope they make the job system a bit more mandatory to mess around with. That would kind of force me to engage with it a bit more. But like you said, I hope they find if Kume is going to be a villain in the next game, which it sure looks like he is, I hope that he's not the villain for him to suddenly become this evil mastermind in this game. He really feels more like a mid-boss than anything I I wonder, it would be pretty provocative and shocking for them to kick off a sequel with the death of Kiryu. I mean, whether it's old age or, you know, somebody doing him in, um, that's, that's gotta be coming. You, you would think so. You would think so. (laughs) They just keep making these games forever into the future. And, uh, so like the, you know, Yakuza Like a Dragon 4 comes out, Kiryu's 76 years old gets into a fight and just it's just too much you know you wouldn't know that he's 74 except for like one gray hair and that's it yeah it's actually in some of the later games people are calling him old man all the time just like talking shit like you got nothing on on me old man and it's it's very funny they call him that in kiwami too (laughs) he's like he's like 30 in that game or something like that yeah, it's like, where do I go from here? I mean, Ichiban looks older than him in this game, and Ichiban is, what, 42, I think, he says? Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we are at about three hours, so let's uh, wrap this one up. Rick, thanks so much for coming on and talking Yakuza with me. I've been waiting a long time to talk about a Yakuza game on the show, and uh, I couldn't have couldn't think of a better person to talk about it with, so thanks for coming on, dude. Oh my gosh, that's right. It is the first Yakuza game that you've done mm-hmm. for this show. Yep. Man, that's awesome. Thank you for having me. I, I love these games. I love your podcast, podcasts, um, but specifically this one because that's where we are right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolute delight, um, especially considering it's such a good game. Yep. So everybody who has made it to the end, thank you very much for listening. Please check out Pixel Project Radio. Again, check in the show notes for links to that show it is very good and yeah normal podcast stuff once again subscribe rating and review if you enjoyed the episode i would very much appreciate that join the discord come talk yakuza and uh any other video game stuff life stuff everything we're talking about it we're having a good time so thank you everybody tune in next time for the next game that comes out of the backlog (laughs) 